and um, yeah, so we are, we are live on, on YouTube. So Sheldon, how are you doing? I'm doing well, thank you. <laughs> okay, yeah, it's definitely good to um, it's definitely good to see you and and, and talk with you. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, you know, I was one I, I was wondering for you, you know, what if you had a sense of what we could talk about, and you you brought up. A, um, that we should focus on Mr. Michael Jackson uh, uh, and, and his sort of legacy. What, um, I mean, he, you know, what's, what are the things that you've thought about with, with Mike? You know, there are a lot of things um, about Michael Jackson that have been, have already been said as far as his accolades and whatnot. But sometimes I think that the record sales, um, and the media stuff kind of takes precedence over other things that are just as valuable. You know, of course, you know, we know the record sales, the thriller situation and just his gifts. But in terms of what his legacy is um, to music, specifically black music in particular, these are things mm -hmm. that are necessarily um, not spoken about as much or is not put in the proper perspective. Um, I was watching one platform. And I was watching Tank, and he was basically breaking down some of the artists in R&B, and he actually said, "quote unquote," that Chris Brown was <laughs> uh, was better than Michael Jackson. Okay, you know, and it, that, that really threw me for a loop because when he was describing it, it he was describing it, I guess, in a way of uh, Chris Brown's his entertainment value in terms of being able to dance and the hits that he has, you know, and for a lot of people within a certain age group time frame, it could be, you know, Chris Brown could be there, Michael Jackson, but Tank is born somewhere like in the mid seventies. So you are coming of age at a period of time when, you know, Michael Jackson is doing his thing. But then I started to do the math because you always got to do the math. He's born in 75. So that means that you're 10 years old. You're maybe, I don't know, seven, eight years old when Thriller comes out. Yeah. And then when you're seeing Michael do his thing, by the time Michael is doing Dangerous, you know, you got to be 16 years old. So, so by the time you, you know, you reach your, your, you know, your 20s and that type of thing like that, uh, it's a little bit different. It's a little bit different. So now, you, you know, even though Michael Jackson is always in our, in his, in our consciousness, it's kind of hard to put it in perspective because you're measuring it by um, contemporary terms, contemporary numbers. So, you know, I was just reflecting on that when you asked me uh, what I wanted to talk about. You know? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I've never personally um, understood um, how um, Chris Brown gets a mention um in the same sort of sentence with with michael jackson i i um i've i've he i've never really um rated his music i mean he's a talented singer and performer um i've probably preferred usher to him but i i, I wouldn't even put chris brown um in the same bracket as say beyonce and even Beyonce would acknowledges who Michael is. So I, I so I don't know if there's something that these guys are seeing with um, Chris Brown that the, the rest of us don't see. 
Um, you know, I, and, and as I said, you know, regardless of what happened with him himself and Rihanna, I don't know if, how much of an difference that made. Because I don't know if he makes the kinds of music that tra uh, that transcends generations, that transcend um, cultures. I don't think he's he, he's 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 created that type of stuff where people would say, you know, like you know, you know. So, uh, so it's hard to understand. As a performer, even as a performer, he 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 doesn't. He's not doing anything innovative. Um, mm -hmm. He's not the, um, you know, his videos or his choreography isn't like he's just doing something that like wow. When I looked at say Bobby Brown during the time when Michael's uh, on the top, Bobby Brown carved a niche where people said, "Wow, this guy is something." MC Hammer. You know, he brought something different and new, and and so that we were saying, "Wow, who's the best out of the three of them?" I I I don't think Chris Brown comes up and does anything that we're like, "Wow, he's at that level," um, because I don't even think he's at he's at Usher's level when Usher was um, was at that that age. So, yeah, I had, and I think sometimes you know, I think Tank respects Chris Brown and stuff, but I I, I don't understand how. You know, forget Thriller. If we just took Thriller out the way, you know, the, the 100 million so, sold, and you thought of Off the Wall, and you thought of Bad and Dangerous, and and you forget those sales, but think about the impact this that Michael made globally, um, how he revolutionized um, music videos, um, how he changed his fashion, how... Um, you know, even the tours and concerts he had, because when when Jay Z is saying saying that so oh, well, Beyonce, hey, Michael hasn't done a Coachella, so you know Beyonce has done. So he's and I'm thinking, well, Coachella's a you know even if Michael at his peak they couldn't afford him at Coachella, that's not that's that's too small for him. You know, Beyonce can't go to Poland and sell out their their national stadium. She can't go to Russia and uh, go to parts of the continent of Africa and all, all the world and sell out in the same numbers. I mean, she has fans, but not like that. Chris Brown can't do that. So there's, you know, there's there's no artist that does that. So I, I don't, I, I don't know how they could compare. And even Chris Brown is, of course, he's loving loving the comparison. But there's there's that 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 a disrespect. It's like, you know, when people compare. Um, What's his name? Uh, LeBron James to Michael Jordan, and then people say, "Well, have you? Can you compare LeBron to Kobe Bryant?" And that's probably the kind of level you want to start to talk about. It's like you don't just go straight for the king. Um, I mean, when you think of Michael, though, I mean, just you know, the, taking away the the the, um, the comparison stuff. But when you think about Michael, um, what do you think was, you know, he you know, he came out with many albums, but as a solo artist, what do you think was his sort of the record that really made, says, okay, you know, this guy, you know, vocally and um, and creatively was his thing? Um, well, Michael Jackson, sometimes people, they measure him, and, and all this talk is fun talk, you know, who's better and the comparison sometimes it's fun but it gets a little out of hand because yeah. it, it to me it goes beyond the record you know the records are 
moments in time. So if you look at, and I hate to use just those four albums because Michael Jackson had done solo records before then, but I'll just say that um, with each album that we, most people are familiar, each album that most people are familiar with, I'll just go there and in our conversation, I can kind of just drop a few things. The Off The Wall album was very, um, very timely. You know, I always say that Michael Jackson was a person who was young enough. He was he was young, he was old old enough to see around the corner, but he was young enough to kind of be the per, be a, an artist of his time. But he was still he was old enough to be an artist within within his time. But he was young enough to see around the corner. And what I mean by that is that all of those albums are a reflective of what Michael Jackson um, wanted to do in music. Um, Off the Wall was very significant because it, it kind of changed the uh, presentation of what a Black artist can be. You know, prior to that, obviously, the black artists are putting out albums. And when he comes out, it's like the album, it's totally, it's totally crafted for him. You know, everything that Quincy Jones and his team is putting into the album. And it was almost like a reintroduction to Michael Jackson. And of course, many of the songs were dance orientated. Mm. So it suited. Michael Jackson's presentation because Michael Jackson was a dancer. So the songs were in alignment with what his image and what his presentation was. So when you saw him perform, obviously the songs were high quality. So it was right in the pocket with what he was doing. And they resonated with people. You know, obviously Michael Jackson is singing them, but the songs are great, you know. And then, you know, there's the sentiment with the ballads, but it's really a, it's a dance record. It's a dance album. And mm-hmm. that's one of the reasons why the album was, even though it sold eight and nine million copies at the time it had come out, it was overlooked um, on a larger, larger scale come award time because it was just looked at, okay, it's a dance album. And dance music sometimes is kind of looked at as not as ambitious as other types of music, you know, that but, has but- more serious overtones. But are you referring to? Hey, Willie, were you oh, referring oh, to? Oh, man, what? What? <laughs> what? 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 <laughs> yeah, I mean, we, we were just um, talking about the um, the legacy of Michael Jackson, but I think you're probably in a good space to to because um, um, Sheldon, you you mentioned that Tank had recently had the conversation about how Chris Brown was probably at the level of Michael's. It's just oh, oh, can you can you? What, what did you what did he say? Well, basically, he was just kind of in his to kind of paraphrase it. He was kind of placing uh, Chris Brown over Michael Jackson um, at this point of his career. And, you know, I have to say right now, Chris Brown has a number one record with her right now. You know, so that's basically what I was actually saying. And then what's happening is that um, when people do that, when they start, you know, it's fun to compare. But sometimes they're they're measuring these artists by their accomplishments and by where they're at in a contemporary space. And I think that's really unfair 
um, even though sometimes it's fun to talk about, but you kind of ruin legacies because when you look at, when you do things like that, in this conversation that he had, it was, you know, a while ago on one of his platforms. But when you do that, it creates a, a, creates a, a situation where non-Black artists now uh, can be openly critical of our heroes. Like Sam Smith did that, you know, the British singer. At one point, he was like, well, I don't like Michael Jackson. None of his songs were good. You know, <laughs> I, I've seen situations where, you know, black comedians would make fun of Michael Jackson with the skin color and then white people would kind of jump on it. You know, so we have to be very careful when you when, when we're dealing with our heroes. So um, we were discussing the albums. So Off the Wall was a reintroduction to Michael Jackson, because prior to that, people's memory of Michael Jackson was him with a group. And I have to say that um, as a group, because you can't leave the whole group component out because that's the thing that he spun out, spun off from. So if you ever seen them perform as a group, they are superior bar none. They can, they could sing, they could dance, they can do the routines. They can incorporate other people's songs into their, into their repertoire. So when you look at what they're doing, they're superior. No one, I don't care, new edition, anybody. When you look at the, the Jackson 5, Jackson's franchise, there's nobody that goes beyond that that's in contemporary music that comes after that. They're great, but th th that's the bar. So going back to what I was saying before, Off the Wall is the kind of reintroduction reintro of Michael Jackson. Bad is more of aggressive um type of presentation for Michael Jackson, but what it is, Bad is also consistent with sounds of the 80s, because if you listen to Bad, there's a lot of synthesizers and electronic drum machines where um, off the wall, it's more, it's more, it's strings. There's a lot of live instrumentation, okay? Then when you go ahead, get the Thriller, what Thriller was before Bad, Thriller is a conscious effort to master all formats so off the wall reintroduction thriller represents ambition and purpose bad now is a more aggressive and contemporary and then when you look at dangerous now he's changing he's changing he's changing his style he's adapting the new sounds that are actually coming out you know, so when you look at those those four albums, um, they represent a different type of Michael Jackson, but Michael Jackson's energy runs concurrently throughout those albums. You know, so I don't think it's like one particular album. I, I kind of like look at it as a body of work because stylistically, even though Michael Jackson, he's a great singer, you have to look at that Michael Jackson is he's not a musician. People say a lot of great things about how he is in the studio and he had he's he's a visionary and all of that, but mm. we can't underestimate the fact that Michael Michael Jackson, in order for him to execute, it's a team component. You mm. gotta have musicians and producers and songwriters and all these other components to really enhance that presentation. So he has the he has the, the platform, like it's a vehicle, he's the chassis. But then when you start adding everything else to the vehicle that makes a Bentley what it is, now you got the full, full um, product. So it doesn't underestimate what his talent is, but he's the type of person that really, when he's linked up with the right components, it's it's great. But at, at, at the core, 
of who Michael Jackson is, he, he's an entertainer at the base. And that's where his that's what separates him from Chris Brown's, um, the ushers, and all of that. Because what Michael Jackson does when he comes into the game, um, he comes through as a singer, he comes through in the traditional presentation of a black stand-up vocal group the jacksons were never a boy band like new edition was never a boy band like drew hill was never a boy band they were a stand-up vocal group that comes in the tradition of previous stand-up vocal groups in the 40s and the 50s and the 60s and the 70s they're carrying on that tradition but then there's a point in time obviously where michael's like the youngest so michael's looking toward the future He's looking toward what he wants to do, and is, he can't do it within the confines of the group situation, even though they're great. But to execute that, he, he's linking up with Quincy Jones. Now, also, you got to look at the fact that he's linking up with Quincy Jones. He's putting these great albums out. If you look at the Billy Jean, um, if you look at his first videos, Don't Stop Till You Get Enough, uh, Billy Jean, those are kind of like, within the scope of the low budget black videos that were out but once billy jean took off then cbs epic we know him as sony now then he started putting more money into the album so now you started to see the budget videos so even though michael jackson was coming out he was still in the lane of a traditional black artist in terms of the marketing and all of that stuff the presentation the promotion but then once, you know, Billie Jean hit through the roof, then now, next thing you know, CBS is throwing the money at him. So now you're seeing these major videos like um, like Beat It, you know, but even his vision is what it is. So Michael Jackson is he's he's, he's an entertainer at his core. But without Sony, Epic, CBS, without them big pockets they had, he wasn't going to be the Michael Jackson that we know now because they had the budget the same way Beyonce was linked up with, with Sony. They have a, they have money, so they're able to put you out on the highest, highest, biggest platform. So you need that because you you all know you can have all the talent in the world, but if they're not presenting you to the public in the right way, you're gonna fall through the cracks. So Michael Jackson had all of those things, but at the core of who he was, which separates him from Chris Brown and Usher and all of that, Michael Jackson is an entertainer, and he came up in the time of entertainers. He studied mm. entertainers as a young boy. You know, he's watching musicals. He's pulling all types of things. So Michael Jackson is less of an originator. He's an innovator, but his skill is being able to pull from different type of inspirations and filtering through his, through his talents. Because everything that you see, whether it's the smooth criminal video, some of his attire, his fashion, a lot of that stuff is pulled from things that he saw Mm -hmm. um in the past but a lot of people think that michael jackson just like he just came down off of a spaceship and boom hey i am a yeah. michael jackson michael jackson yeah. he evolved yeah he evolved and, that. yeah and he does he does admit copy um learning from james brown and flip wilson but mm -hmm. then really from yourself as a recording artist when the does was michael jackson sort of the Sort of the ghost standard, like okay, this is a recording artist that you know, no, we, 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 you know, he's on another level than the rest of us are on this level. But what was it? How is it like when you are a recording artist? Does the label say, well, "Yeah, we'd love you to sell a thriller, but you know, we, we manage if you just go platinum." 
Man, I mean, it never really came up in conversations like with the label amongst us as artists. Always talked about Mike, but like like um Sheldon said, like it was more like his aspect of being an entertainer, like just all around, like being able to sing, dance, and you know, like together with the help of like, the great people that he was allowed to collaborate with. I'm so glad you touched on it, bro, because I was having that conversation with somebody a couple of days ago. But just like having the means to just do it all, you know, like all the way around the scope. Like he wasn't just, you don't go to a Michael Jackson show and like with our group, it was definitely a big emphasis put on the entertainment value. Too much to my chagrin on, I wasn't really trying to hear that because I was just the thing like, man, we know how to sing real good. So we don't need to do all this extra stuff. But then when people talk about what well, that depend on what level you want to get to, if you want to be just on the urban level or whatever, then that's good. But if you try to get to that other level over there, that pop success and all that, you got to be able to do the dancing. You got to be able to do the whatever to keep the fans entertained. We got to have these crazy videos at some point like that. And then it was like Michael Jackson, the gold standard was like Michael Jackson for that. I was told like Michael mm-hmm. Jackson at Earth, Wind and Fire. Like, wow. if you can't put together a show like Michael Jackson or Earth, Wind & Fire, then that's the people that will be able to tour forever. No matter yeah. how old you get, you'll always be able to go out on tour and do this and that and the third. If you could put together a show that's on the level of, like, an MJ show or Earth, Wind & Fire show, you know? What What about the... um? Because, you know, for for an audience that, that, uh, that got into the music, say, in the 2000s, and they um, they they looking at people like Chris Brown, and they're looking at say uh, Beyonce, mm-hmm. and then you you have Jay Z, you know, trying to push up his wife. But now she's now taken over, or you have Tank and others saying, "Yep, Chris Brown actually could have just almost overtaken Michael had he not mm-hmm. had this sort of domestic violence stuff with Rihanna." Mm-hmm. I personally, maybe I'm biased because you know Michael Jackson is my all time favorite. So and maybe I'm of a generation that we we couldn't see anybody. I mean, I admitted when Bobby Brown was coming up and Hammer, we thought, wow, they're going to give him a run for his money. Yeah. But I, 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 there's no part of me that can that understands how Chris Brown can be spoken about when they're talking about Michael Jackson. But maybe as I say, I'm biased. But as yourself, Woody, as a recording artist, is there? Do you see where people might have any similarities or draw from or or, or what what are your thoughts? I kind of see it like apples and oranges. I think that Chris Brown is great for his time right now. I think that Chris Brown is a phenomenal artist for right now. I enjoy, like, I love his first album more than any of the others. And I heard some yes. interviews with the people that he collaborated with on that one. And I think that if he probably would go back, well, I mean, would that's kind of similar because a lot of people say if Michael would have stuck with Quincy and the team that he had, that the rest of his albums going on on out further would have been just as great. I think if Chris Brown and it's probably not too late, link back up with them same producers, same writers that he did that first album with, then maybe we could have this conversation. Maybe four or five more albums with those with that crew, then maybe we could have that conversation. But I think Chris Brown is more of like. We love to see him dance. We love his energy when he go out. And I love when he just go on his rants and stuff and talk crap about the industry and stuff like that. I like that of him. So I'm not definitely not saying anything bad about him, but I definitely don't see him 
on the same level of where I see Michael Jackson. And that's just me personally, you know, nothing against him. I'm, I'm, I love his music. I love that first album. I still bang that. My little brother and sister put that in and played it for me when they was like the same, they about the same age as him. So like, they was like 15 and 16. They was like, Lucho, you gotta hear this. And I'm like, okay. And I put it on because they told me to put it on. And then next thing you know, I was rocking to it. I'm like, I went back up to them. Like, man, let me hold that CD with y'all. Let me hold here earlier. <laughs> so he definitely got it. But I think that he probably got to do a little bit more in order for me to see him on that same level uh, where Mike, you know. But then what about said Beyonce? Um, Beyonce and, and Chris Brown. I mean, when you look at the two of them as singers, performers, mm-hmm. Who would you say has has the upper hand? Forget the fact that Beyonce has won you know all these Grammys and all these nominations and and has been elevated by the media as the queen and stuff. But just from a without the industry backing, when you see them as performers, singers, well, I'm I'm going to tell you this, you know, because again, everything we look at now is is based on the stats. Because again, you know, in the past right. thirty years. We're, we're always now we've been in tune to who's producing the records, you know, mm-hmm. whether this person is writing and they are they producing their records, all of the specific accomplishments. But the accomplishments are offshoot of who the artist is. And of course, there are other components that are there, you know, their business and all that stuff that also that's a major contributing factor. Mm-hmm. So when I look at both of them, I kind of see them that they're, they're, they're parallel. They're they're of their they're of their time, you know. I mean, think about it: is that Chris Brown's first record was two thousand five, you know, Beyonce record it was like nineteen ninety seven or something like that. So think about it, you know, respectively. That, that's what ninety seven and then two thousand five. So that's eight years apart. So we're talking about they're roughly twenty five, almost twenty years into the game. As as an artist, where their brands have survived, all you know the total metamorphosis of R and B and where where we're at now. So for them to still be maintaining, you have to give them a lot of credit, and it has to do yeah. with it with it with their popularity as artists. Yeah, we can say it's hype, it's this, but at the end of the day, who they are as entertainers, they have people who actually gravitate to them. Because remember, people who are Chris Brown fans. You know, Michael Jackson was in a way way past his prime by the time Chris Brown came. Well, Michael Michael Jackson's prime arguably was probably somewhere in the 80s. And that's like almost 25 years before Chris Brown. So you got to look at when these people are coming. I I don't necessarily separate them, but I Mm -hmm. look at them. They're almost the equivalent of when you look at like a Michael Jackson and the Whitney Houston, they're out in the 80s. It's the same equivalent where you've got two prominent, I don't want to say big, because big, you can't really define that, but I'll say two prominent black entertainers who have maintained high-profile careers. But Michael is in a whole different category because this is what Michael Jackson did. Michael Jackson broke the mold of what a uh, prominent black artist could be because prior to that, when you were a black entertainer, you had to be able to sing. I'll use Sammy Davis Jr. was the bar. Because Sammy mm-hmm. Davis Jr. could sing. Really? Sammy Davis Jr. could dance. Sammy Davis Jr. could he could he could do impressions. He could play instruments. He so that when you went on stage, that's you had to have the whole package. Or 
if you were an entertainer back then, nobody was writing their own music. So you would have a show where you would sing songs that were previously written by somebody else. They might be jazz standards. They might take in a new song that somebody had written and you had to have a show. And then mm-hmm. on the other side was the the, the, the the bar was you had to be a great musician. You had to mm-hmm. be a great musician. Going back to what he was saying with Earth, Wind & Fire, that was the bar. Earth, Wind & Fire always said what we did in the 70s with our concerts is what Michael Jackson did in television in the 80s. Michael Jackson comes along and he, he, he creates a whole different lane as an entertainer um, to where now it's not about now I got to sing these runs. I got to have these powerful vocals. I don't have to be a musician. I could be an entertainer. But the thing about Michael Jackson's success is that he comes along off the wall as a reintroduction to who he is. But remember, by the time off the wall comes out, Michael Jackson is 21 years old. So he has a whole generation of people who remember him when he was 10 years old. They remember him when he was 15. They remember him when he was 18. So now he comes out in 21 and it's like, oh, wow, this is a totally, totally different type of Michael Jackson. It's a repackaging. And that's what made it so exciting. If you ever get a chance to talk to L.A. Reid, L.A. Reid will tell you he was a musician in the 70s. You know, he's the same age as Michael Jackson. He was a musician in the 70s. And their thing was, we're copying off Slide of Family Stone or whatever band was out. Somebody told him Michael Jackson's coming out with that new album. He was like, and? But then when he heard it, he was blown away. So Michael Jackson kind of like re he, 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 he reshaped the image of what a black entertainer was. But then not only was he had the entertainment side, but he had the music aspect to back it up. But then he also had a vision of what I want to do things just beyond the traditional stuff on stage. I also want to go ahead and have the, you know, use the current medium of the time, which is music videos to express myself. So now when he comes out with beat it, beat is just like, it's, it's really great. So if I'm, I'm 12, 13 years old, when like, you know, beat it comes out, maybe 13 years old, but anybody who's watching beat it, that's 10, 15, 15, 20 years older than me, they're seeing West Side Story because that's where mm-hmm. Beat It, that's the that's the musical. The musical that comes out, like, I guess, like in 1960, 61 or something like that. Mm-hmm. That's a re reboot of that. And that's what made Michael Jackson so great is that when you see Michael Jackson, you see other people who came before Michael Jackson. So if I'm, Michael Jackson comes out in 1970, you got somebody that's 45 years old seeing Michael Jackson as a 10-year-old. They seeing Frankie Lyman, okay? They seeing Jackie Wilson, Michael mm-hmm. Jackson singing like David Ruffin. He's doing all these songs and all of that. Then when you see him later on, okay, I see this person. I see this in him. I see this in him. But it's still original in terms of who he is because he's a hybrid. So everybody else who comes after him, whether it's Bobby Brown, Beyonce, Chris Brown, they are a hybrid of what Michael Jackson was doing. And Janet Jackson, you got to put her in that category. So he creates that singular vein of an entertainer that kind of like breaks out the traditional package of what, what a, a black entertainer is. And then you, if, if you want to throw the stats in and the record sales, he changes the game because once he starts selling records, that's the expectation for a lot of record companies is that you, you don't have to say have to sell 20 million records, but you're not selling 30,000 records over here. 
So he made it very hard for a lot of black entertainers because it was him and a handful of other people. He was like an upper echelon. Then you had the middle echelon and you had a lower echelon. He created that. He created that. But what it was, it was also his undoing because he went so far beyond his base. And we could respect him as an entertainer. But again, time's like an athlete. You play them all. And before you know it, you know, you, you, you're still great. But, you know, as time goes on, we're starting to see the cracks in our armor. So we respect you. We love you. So now that's how people can go in and say, okay, Beyonce is this person. Chris Brown is this person. Because we're looking at an older Michael Jackson. We're looking at a 50-year-old Michael Jackson. But if you put a, you put a 15-year-old, you put a 15-year-old Michael Jackson with a 10-year-old Beyonce, 10-year-old Chris Brown, Michael Jackson is going to be here. You put a 15-year-old Michael Jackson against a 15-year-old Beyonce, 15-year-old Chris Brown, and you go on and on. So, you, so up until, let's say, about 30 maybe 35. Now they've caught up. So people are measuring Michael Jackson and the Beyonce's and the Chris Brown by maybe an by an older memory of what Michael Jackson was. He's they are people are always going to respect him, they're always going to love him, but you got to look at his career in its totality. Not, not even just I'm not even talking about the music, just from the legacy from the history. Then when you put the music into it, and then the last thing I'll say is that that voice that he has, he has a tenor voice, soprano voice. So if I'm a kid and I'm singing and I want to sing, Michael Jackson is going to be my reference. Because if I go and watch a YouTube video and I'm seeing a 12-year-old Michael Jackson, a 15-year-old Michael Jackson do his thing, and then I'm seeing everything that happens in the Thriller era, I'm hooked. Yeah, I'm hooked. Yeah, but I, I think, you know, it's... um. Uh, the way the industry does, so they 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 never allow anyone compare to Elvis. It's almost as if he's the king of rock and roll. He's a king, and and he's he's gonna always gonna be untouched. That's that's how the industry is. So he's given his status, and anyone that tries to challenge that, they tear you down. The Beatles. Well, you know what? Because that what you just said. The reason why that is is because. What Elvis did is the music industry before he came along, it was just almost like how rap music was with all the independent labels. So when the when pop music started to become more corporate, Elvis was a singular artist, much like a Michael, much like a Beyonce. He was a singular artist that the industry was able to build itself around. But at the same time, Elvis had the hype because he had a manager you know, Colonel Tom Parker, who really exploited him, put him in movies. So the stuff that he was doing at the time when he was doing it, nobody was doing it like him. He was in movies, singing in the movies and all these other types of things. But what it was, was that he was the singular artist that the industry built itself around. And they created that legend to make it seem like he was the best. But look at these people, the people who talk about Elvis now, that he's a king. They're 30 and 40 years old. They wasn't even born when he was when he was doing his thing. But that mentality came from people who were older. So that's that that's a that's a mentality that's inherited by younger people. Yeah, but it's from, been it's been preserved though. And as I yeah, said, right, they're, and they're not respecting and preserving Michael Jackson's legacy. But but, but the, the thing about came King of Pop and this and that. But you know why that is though. The reason why that is is that they're not preserving Michael's history, is because one, you got a black artist, you got a white artist, 
All right. I've seen situations where Michael Jackson's album Thriller is going up and down as the biggest selling domestic mm-hmm. album in the states of all times. And I've seen and there's another album that's kind of like close to yeah, it. The Eagles. Yeah, the, the Eagles. Eagles. And I've hope seen people on Facebook, but they change back and forth. And I've seen people that when the Eagles get, you know, now they kind of pass Thriller for a while. I've seen people say they're happy. They're happy that it, it's done that because a lot of people, man, in terms of Michael Jackson, it, it's, it, it's a race thing. Sometimes it's a taste thing, but between both of them, it's taste and then it's race. But the reason why Michael Jackson's legacy is 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 not preserved the way it is, obviously you can look at all the legal things and all of that, but what happens is we kind of look at the stats. When people talk about the stats, they just talk about thriller. And I think it's a shame. They, they, they look at Michael Jackson as a thriller, as, in terms of thriller, but they don't look at what he did before thriller. Because you got to understand, right. if you go talk to Babyface, you go talk to Oprah, you go talk to any artist that was born in the mid, in the mid, any artist that was born, entertainer, media person that was born in the mid 50s. And they were, they were born probably up until about maybe the 70s. That's 20 mm-hmm. years. They're going to tell you Michael Jackson was their jump off, man. The first generation of rappers, they was looking at the Jackson 5. That was their inspiration. You know, when you look at Oprah Winfrey, she would tell you that one of the older brothers was the one she had a crush on. Babyface will tell you when he went to see the Jackson 5 in Market Square Arena in Indianapolis, um, that ignited something in him from the way him wanted to be an entertainer. You will talk to Lenny Kravitz. He went to see Michael Jackson in Madison Square Garden in 1972 performing look, Looking Through the Windows. So when you look in terms of Michael Jackson's influence and, you know, and the group, but you look at who he was, there was nobody, there was no young mm. artist before him. So if you're of a certain age, he's always going to resonate with you. But think about it is that when you look at the Tanks and everybody who's saying what they're saying, remember, Tank is born in 76. So you got to do the math. So he's eight years old when Thriller comes out. So, yeah, you're kind of familiar with Thriller, but you're a child. Okay? When, 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 what is that? Dangerous comes out, he's 15. So think about it. Everybody's, the, the, their attitudes and stuff, they're shaped by their experience of when they first come in contact with these artists. That's why when you look at Beyonce and Chris Brown, it's like it's like the Kobe and the LeBron situation. When Michael Jack, when Michael Jordan was coming out, nobody. It was like before him, even when you had Magic and all these people, what, what Michael Jordan was doing was totally different. Everything that was surrounding him. When you look at Beyonce, when you look at Chris Brown, they're coming out with a bunch of young groups. So when you look at when you come out with a bunch of young groups and you see them rise to the top, and I give them credit because look at everybody, whether it's from Monica. Whether anybody who was out in the 90s, anybody who was out in the early 2000s or whatever that were out, Beyonce has survived and thrived. She's made that higher, she's had that higher echelon. Look at Chris Brown. He came out with Run It in 2005, and look how many groups was out. Look how many you know artists were out at the time. And he's still there. So you got to give them credit. Yeah. But at the same time, you have to look, you have to break when you start pulling stuff away. You'll see the smoke screen. You'll see the limitations because Chris Brown, I, I saw one guy who's about 40 something years old, 45 years old. Oh, Chris Brown is a better in, in, a better dancer than Michael Jackson. But here it is, Chris Brown, you're doing freestyle. You're doing choreography, but you're doing freestyle dancing. But if you look at Michael Jackson 
and you watch Michael Jackson do choreography with his brothers. He's doing a traditional choreography. Then he's doing choreography where he's pulling from musicals and movies where he's mm -hmm. doing the whole rigid, you know, tap dance and the whole, you know, that type of thing. Then you're seeing him do other things within the hip hop perspective. But at the same time, it's still you still see the signature Michael Jackson. So he's yeah. always going to be he's going to be the bar. He's going to be the inspirational bar. So long mm -hmm. after everyone else is gone, he will be it. Now, don't get me wrong. And people will probably hate on me when I say this, is that Beyonce, if you look at any artist, Beyonce is at Michael Jackson proportions now. And what I mean by that is in terms of her popularity, in terms of her uh, durability as an artist and, as, as, and, and her commercial success. Because if you look at Beyonce, Beyonce is 41, 40, 41. All right. But when you saw Michael at 40 and 41, totally different. So Beyonce has been able to maintain that level of not just level of success, but of level. She never dropped off. She never dropped off. Michael Jackson here and there, but things happen. But at the same time, you can't hold people. You can't hold that against people because nobody rocks forever. Mm. Nobody's going to rock forever. You got to look at their career in totality. You can't look at it. Um, just as a, as a, as a career record, but you said something nominee about how come they don't cherish the legacy, but Woody said something about, okay, Drew Hill at the core, these guys are singers. These guys are singers. But the thing is, is that their management is saying, okay, you need to go on the pop side and do the other things that will attract the pop audience. But you're basically telling them, is you need to abandon what got you there and abandon the core, the, the, the history of the legacy of black music that's in their DNA, that's in their energy. You want them to throw that away to go ahead and go on the pop side, to go ahead and get the artists, to, to get the fans. Mm -hmm. But that, that shows you the mentality that, and that mentality exists now that we look at everything, we measure it by the pop success. Yeah. But, you, but some things you can't measure by pop success. Case in point, now it was four of them. I'm talking about Drew Hill. It was four of them doing their thing, right? But now you got like five or six of them cats out there right now trying to go ahead and reaccomplish what it took only four people to do, the four original members. Now you got six people out there. Trying to re try there you go. Not, <laughs> not, now they turn it into Irvine and Fire. You know what I'm saying? They turned it into Earth, Wind, and Fire. So I had to recapture the magic. From what I saw, the tickets, they've dropped ticket prices, and they're trying to get people to come and this, that, and the other. No disrespect to the group, but when you look at the core of who you are, when you pull away from that, you know, a lot of crazy things happen. That's the same with Michael Jackson. When you start pulling all of that, you pull him away from the core, his center of who he was. First of all, what he meant to black music. First of all, what he meant to black music. Then the imitators. Because everybody's pulling from him, whether it's a Justin Timberlake, whether it's Pharrell, mm -hmm. whether it's this one, that one, Bobby, mm -hmm. Usher, everybody's pulling from the Michael Jackson. Neo. Neo is, he's, you know, you're doing Michael Jackson records. Justin Timberlake, you're doing Michael Jackson records. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm mm -hmm. saying? So there's nobody imitating Beyonce. There's nobody imitating Chris Brown. But you always, you always got to, and always, you know, people say, oh man, it's history, but you always got to use history as a base because you never go wrong. And that's the biggest thing with our black legacy. If you stay within the historical context and you look at the alignment, 
you'll never go wrong. And that's what Michael Jackson did. Even though he was doing what he was doing, he always acknowledged the people who came before him and what he was doing. That's what made him great. Mm -hmm. That's what made him, you couldn't duplicate what he was doing. Yeah, you could sing like him. You could try to dance like him. But Michael Jackson had a sense of history, not just with the black music side. Once again, you watch the smooth criminal videos. You watch the, the beaded videos. You watching the way we, uh, the way she makes me feel video. All of those stuff is rooted in other types of music, other types of styles. And like you said, now that's what makes him attractive. And then you are the ballads. You're a Michael Jackson ballad guy. So when he mm -hmm. sings the ballads, there's a sensitivity that he has singing those ballads. But when you hear him sing Lady in My Life, when you hear him sing Liberian Girl, that's the same Michael Jackson sensitivity. If you go back and you listen to him as a 12-year-old singing Never Can't Say Goodbye, it's the same sensitivity to be able to deliver that emotion, that sentiment in the records that Chris Brown don't have. Yeah. You know? I mean, Woody, because what, what we're going to do is we, we, we'll wrap this up soon and move on to another topic. But uh -huh. what, just, just to summarize, I mean, your thoughts on on Mike and, 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 and the other artists and just, uh, you know, as I said, from, from your background and experience. One thing I say about Mike and, and Brother Sheldon, you probably can help me because you know better than me. But Mike, at his last performances, like his later performances, like you said, like 50-year-old Mike and probably a little bit younger, it was a time where he did a lot of lip syncing and he just was dancing. But mm -hmm. it was a lot of years where Mike was showing up on that stage, hitting every one of them steps and singing them songs and sounded just like the record. A lot of these new artists, they get maybe like one or two albums where you hear them singing for real. And then after that, they get people going and paying thousands of dollars for a show to watch them lip sync. So I can't compare nobody that's lip syncing to somebody that was out there singing full voice and doing and doing the choreography and doing all of it, you know? So that's a big credit to Mike, and that's something else that, to me, puts him way ahead of a lot of artists now because, like, the shows now just seem so, like, cookie-cutter and formulated. Like, his stuff just seemed more, like, authentic and coming from the heart, coming from the gut. And a lot of that is attributed to the fact that he was the first. He was the blueprint, but it's like people can take little bits and pieces of it and make it work for him and make whole careers out of him. Not knocking none of them, but it's like, Nothing like the real thing. Like I, when I was sitting there talking with um with Casey and Mr. Dalvin the other night, and I said to them, I said, "Man, the original is always gonna be better than the copy." And it's like no matter how much hype somebody can put behind somebody, how much promotion that you can put behind somebody to make everybody believe that they that. It's like when you put it next to the real thing, like they say with money, when they teach the, the um FBI agents about how to know how to tell fake money from real money. They said that they just teach them so much about real money. They don't even take time teaching them about fake money. They teach them so much about real money that the minute they see the fake money that they know that something ain't right. So it's like when you were brought up on the authentic and on the real thing, you're going to be able to see that something about that, like, that's cool. It's nice. But it ain't like Marvin Gaye and Tammy saying nothing like the real thing. So, like, I don't think anybody come moving forward would be able to be on Mike's level. Like you might sell as many records with them push from your label or you might, or they can even falsify numbers and all that stuff. They say men lie, women lie, numbers don't. Numbers can lie too. They could be padded. They could be some taken off. Sometimes your label don't want you to do as well as you're doing because they want to humble you. So they'll give away some of your copies and stuff or, or stick that poking with that little hole punch to make it look like you ain't sell as many as you sold. So numbers can lie too. 
Numbers can be doctored up, but it's like as far as that pure feeling and that pure energy that you get when you're watching somebody that's really doing it and it's really them doing it, ain't nobody helping them out like that or as far as like the vocal definitely getting help because ain't nobody making it all the way out there like that and get to the public without some help, just like Brother Sheldon pointed out. But it's like when you really up there doing it as opposed to you up there doing this and the record back there doing the singing and stuff like that. Yeah. When somebody is able to do that, then I can be ready to compare somebody to Mike. But other than that, I think we just named a bunch of great artists for their time. But I don't think that none of the artists that we named, and a lot of times I even hear um, Drake throwing out there. And I think Drake <laughs> is close as far as not as far as his quality of music, but as far as him being able to adapt, like Brother Sheldon was saying, like Drake or his team or whoever does it, does a great job of finding out what's new and what's hot. And then they'll find a way for Drake to incorporate that into his next songs or whatever. Like if a SoundCloud rapper is up and coming and he got a certain style, next thing you know, you're going to hear Drake with a remix with that rapper. <laughs> and then he going to adapt the style and then because he's bigger, people going to think that was Drake's style when the whole time he got it from that other artist. So he's a hell of a researcher and he knows how to incorporate people's styles with his styles. But at the end of the day, so I would say he, I mean, like as far as that, I could see the comparison, but it's like still the feeling that Mike gave you when you was little. And I was, I'm the same age as Tank. I was born in 76 too. But the film I got the first time I saw that Pepsi commercial with Mike and um <laughs> dancing in the middle of the street. Yeah, yeah. I it's never been another artist to this day that made me, you know, like feel like that. Like I can't dance at all. But I was up there <laughs> standing in the living room doing my best little impressions in between my mama telling me to stop because she ain't want me listening to that kind of music. But man, I had the whole outfit, I had the beaded jacket, I had the socks, <laughs> I had the little church pants and everything, man. The shades with the space on it. Like to know to make somebody feel like that and make their fans feel like that, that they actually want to be these people. It's very few artists that nowadays they give you that feeling, you know. And well, and well Woody just said, I'm sorry, well, what he just said is important because when you see a Michael Jackson do those videos and he's doing the commercials and you don't see black artists, you know, you hadn't seen black artists do that in a long time, they used to be like. Budweiser commercials, a cat named Lou Rawls, he was doing those commercials. He was really big at the time. So Michael Jackson is the only one. So when you see what, what Michael Jackson is doing is the equivalent of what Beyonce is doing on the Coachella because Michael Jackson is reaching large audiences. Just because Michael Jackson is, not do, is, is doing the Coachella, there was no Coachella in Michael Jackson's time. Yeah, but, but even if there was, he wouldn't have done it. I mean, that's that. Um, maybe when he... When he was doing off the wall, but not when he was after Thriller. I mean, well, he, but, but, but but off the wall, he wasn't going to be able to do it because at that point, even though he was selling records, Michael Jackson was a star, but he wasn't a superstar. He was a star in the black mm -hmm. community, but he wasn't like looked at as global global. I mean, and yeah. keep in mind, he had a lot of success. But when you look at the Coachella thing, you know, again, people have to they when they try to compare people, they're always going to compare and look at their accomplishments. But when you look at what Michael Jackson was doing. He was doing stuff that people are doing today that nobody was doing. And even if you're talking about the business side, okay, even though he had the ambition, I want to put these long form videos out. When he wanted to do the thriller video, CBS was like, no, we're not paying for this. We're not paying for this. He went in his own pocket and he paid for the thriller video. He paid for the thriller video out of his own pocket. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So, and then you talk about just also absorbing. Cause he he wasn't the, he wasn't like in, as far as being traditionally educated, 
but he learned by seeing and absorbing. So yeah. imagine having a conversation with Paul McCartney, and then a year later, you buying you buying you buying you buying publishing because Michael Jackson hadn't written a lot of songs at that point. Yeah. He hadn't written a lot of songs. He probably had written maybe maybe fifteen songs maybe at that point in time when he bought that publishing. Wow. So in terms of a songwriter. Michael Jackson hasn't written a lot of songs in his career, but he owns a lot of songs. So even if you talk about the business side, even if you want to do that, you still can't compare. But I always kind of keep it down to the core of what it is. But I want to just kind of just throw that in. I know you're about to go to another topic, yeah. but I want to just throw that in there. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, for myself, as I said, he's always been um, but my all-time, you know, alongside Steven Spielberg and, and Teddy Riley. But when you have people like Crazy Bo, when I interviewed him and he said that he wanted to be an entertainer when he saw Motown 25. So, you know, you think of Bones, Thugs and Harmony, you say Crazy Bo saying he saw that and said that's, that's, that inspired me. Heavy D has said it, that you know, most rappers, when they heard Off the Wall, it was like, wow. And when Michael would reach out to anybody, whether it's Naughty by Nature, anybody or Jay-Z, no one thought that he was, they all ran, you know, they all, that he was always the pinnacle. There was not one person who has seen him. And met Even him Biggie, person. Biggie did a song yeah. with Michael Jackson. You Biggie. remember, sometimes people yeah. would think that a rapper was quote unquote soft if they did a song with a singer, but he ain't turned that down. Dallas Austin, like Austin reached out to him and said, you know, I've got this Michael joint. And then he said, please let me get on it. And, yeah. he, gave, and he did his verse. And he says, "Whoa!" He told that he told Biggie that maybe it's a little too hardcore, but uh -oh. he let Michael listen to it. Michael says, "I love it just as it is," and so wow. he, he, it's it's you know all everybody. I mean every. So as I said, I I, I feel that there's there is a, there's there was there's an agenda within the industry to try and to discredit him, try and diminish his achievements. They did that in in the nineties yeah. when he was he was going to break more records with dangerous and then they just brought up all these all these things came about and 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 um and they won't do anything with elvis marrying an underage girl and any of that stuff they'll 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 hide hide that stuff but they, 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 they've, they've targeted him they don't want him to break any records you know he you know they they still keep the beatles up there they keep re-releasing -re singles so that they can use that to stack up against him he wow. sold more albums than any other artist However, Elvis and the Beatles, they keep releasing singles and they combine all those ones to say, well, they've, they've, they've sold more. So, they, as I they, said, they, they, moved them, they, they moved the needle. They moved the right. bar. So it's like no matter right. what, they always kind of move it. But you know what, though? They can continue to do it. But again, we're talking about stats. And of course, stats are very important when it comes to history. But when you look in terms of the intangible impact, you can't put a cap on that. Yeah. But the biggest thing, but, but, but the thing is, is that that's why it's important for platforms like yours, because mm -hmm. you're able to kind of capture those things to remind people of who Michael Jackson is. And here's the thing. You people can put the cap. They can move the needle. But all you got to do is you look at those YouTube videos of him performing at any age. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and, and for people, that's all and that's going to always make him an eternal an eternal artist. Yeah, the numbers, they try to skew the numbers, but it is what it is. But in the end, like you said, numbers, are, they're not going to lie. But in the end, numbers don't tell 
um, the entire story. Not at all. I mean, my 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 you know my kids, you know, in you know nine, ten. If I if I, they know who Michael Jackson is. Now he died before they were born, mm-hmm. but my kids know who he is. They don't See, know who. They don't they, know who Elvis they is. They don't know. <laughs> yeah, they they don't know who Chris Brown is. They okay. They may know Beyonce, but that's you know as I said, they they were born you know 2010, 2012. But they all know who Michael is, you know. Even 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 my six year olds would all know who he is. And I remember Donnie Simpson saying the same thing when I interviewed him. He says his grandkids all know Michael Jackson. They all because, and it's 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 and it's you, there's nothing you can do about trying to you know. They try to counsel him. They try to do all what they can, but it, it's and I and and, and I, it's a shame for me to think that because he's black that they were they don't they didn't want to celebrate him they wanted to bring him down but you got to look he, at it they always they always marginalized him when he put out off the wall it was probably one of the biggest selling albums but at the time the whole it was a whole negative attitude toward dance music so dance music did and because his music was like it had that dance element like disco kind of thing he didn't get the respect come award time but i'm going to tell you this I was nine years old when Elvis died. And I remember people were like, the way people lost their mind when Michael Jackson died, people lost their mind when Elvis died. Because for people who, it's almost like people who were young, people who were like 30 years old, 40 years old when Elvis died, Elvis was like a Michael Jackson to them because he represented the music of their youth and he was huge. But again, him being a white artist, they're always going to do what they're going to do to elevate these artists. Even so when you break out and then when you start pulling things away from Elvis, he's the same way. He's pulling all these different energies into his music. But I watch documentaries and what they try to do is they make him say, OK, well, yeah, he saw the black gospel singers. He saw the white gospel singers. But what he did, he created something. and He made it his own. So it's not so much. It's the media that right. actually they spin that story. So right. what happens is people who've never seen Elvis or whatever that is or whatever, they're looking at these people. And of course, music is music. Same with situation with the Beatles. I'm gonna give you the Beatles story real quick. The Beatles, there's a, there's an A Beatles and there's a B Beatles. There's an A Beatles before they get with their producer, George Martin, where they're doing the guitars and the drums. And then later on, they started to get to the studio stuff, but it's not them. They have George Martin. He's their Teddy Riley at the time. He's their Teddy Riley. So when you look at all the music from Sgt. Pepper on with the experiment in the studio, that's not entirely them. Those are that's a producer, George Martin, that's working with them and gave them a whole new sound. But the Beatles evolved. They moved past all the people who they had come out with. So they wound up being who they were. But again, the music industry is predominantly white. Mm. People keep the people keeping the stats, the media. So they're always going to sell that image of who it was because one of the things the Beatles did is the Beatles ended the reign of singer songwriter songwriters. Before you had singers and then you had songwriters. So if you were a singer or a band, somebody wrote your music. But when the Beatles start writing their own music, it changed the game, and then all other groups start. Okay, I can I'm write my own music. So I give them credit in terms of what they are, but you got to look at what Michael Jackson was doing. He created the lane, but because Michael Jackson is not a musician, they'll try to put they'll try to pull that away from him. He, mm-hmm. he don't play any instruments in terms of singing, like Woody said. Maybe the past maybe twenty years or something like that, fifteen years, Michael Jackson is performing, but there's a lot of lip syncing. There's a tech, a lot of technology going on. So mm-hmm. sometimes people lose the essence. They forget the essence of who he was as a pure entertainer. 
Now, based on what age you are, that's that's going to be okay because that's where everybody's into the technology now in terms of singing, lip singing, auto tune, and all of that. But what Michael Jackson is doing, which is really smart, Michael Jackson is making a concession to the style of people how enter, how they entertain now. He's going to keep yeah. the bar high, but he's going to mm-hmm. go ahead and incorporate what everyone else is doing now. You see it with Janet Jackson the same way. Yeah. Okay. Well, guys, um, we, we're going to quickly move on. And um, the other big thing that is this out is um, now I haven't got to see it here in the UK, and that's the um, SWV and uh, Escape uh, uh, reality show. Now, normally, as I said, normally these reality shows um, are scripted to some degree. They <clears throat> But or what, uh, and in talking to some of the people who were on R&B Divas, both on Angie Stone and and um, Monif and, and Nikki Gilbert, um, and even Stacey Francis, what they've said is they they um, they they record every element and then they take what they want to make up up a show. But it's been unfortunate to see two sisters of escape in escape talking, arguing about money and airing their dirty laundry um, in public. And, and you know, because most of us were wondering how come Escape went from four to three, especially when they just got, they, you know, they were about to sort of come, blow up. I won't say blow up, almost relaunch themselves. They get the Lady of Soul Trainer Award. They've got this reality show and they're about to go on this golden tour and it's just the three of them. So... I don't know how many, if either one of you have watched it. I mean, Woody, what are you, what's been your sort of thoughts about not just the show, but just the fallout from from the sisters, especially you, 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 you're, you're the only one of us that have been in the in in the, in, the, in the group situation. Yeah. It's like you hate to see it publicly like that because something that Chris Rock said on that. Um, oh yeah, I saw that thing. <laughs> when he said, you know, like we were raised that we don't air out our laundry in front of, you know, everybody like that, like the other kinds of people and stuff. Like we keep that most of the time in house, you know, but it's like you hate that it's happening and everybody's getting to see it. Like anybody can tune in to see that show and see them arguing like that. But at the same time, I'm kind of glad that it's coming out because like when I would speak on certain things that happened to me, people were like, oh, no, that ain't happened. They ain't do that. That's unheard of. So now you see these people in real time, you know, like whatever time that it's coming in on, you see them going through similar things. Like, see, I tried to tell you that's what happened to me. You told me that ain't happened. And if these people is just my group members. So if, a bro- if sisters and real siblings that do that to each other, <laughs> imagine somebody that ain't grew up in the same house with you. I definitely heard stories of checks that belong to me going to certain places and getting cash. I even seen got sent to me a signature that definitely wasn't my signature signed off on a big check before. So it's like to see that happening, it's like you don't want to be like Misery Love Company, but it's almost kind of like therapeutic to know that I wasn't just like picked by the world to be picked on. Same things happen. Like it's basically it's common stuff that happens in the industry all the time. And if it's not a lot of people's favorite artists, then they don't believe it. Or if it's done by who somebody's favorite artist, they, oh, they ain't do that. What reason would they had to do that to you? They had more money than you anyway. Why would they do that? So to see the the lead singer of the group, her husband doing that to her own sister who was also in the group but wasn't out the front like how she was, I'm just like, mm-hmm, told you. Keep watching. Keep watching. Now it's all the stuff I'm t- was telling you for years coming to life. 
But I do hope they find a resolve, and I do hope because I, you know, I like them as a group, and we all love our groups. And in these days and times, where most groups are becoming almost like a thing of the past, you know, like if it is mm-hmm. a way to salvage it, it will be cool to see it. But if it doesn't get salvaged, and it's because of these type of things, I'd be the biggest hypocrite in the world to say suck it up. <laughs> going. Like you saw what I posted earlier about that forgiveness when people, the public likes something, they always want to say, oh, you just whoever the one being wrong, oh, they just need to suck it up. Oh, well, that's what they keep doing. That's, that's, that's what, they keep, that's what they, they keep doing about you. They keep thinking. Yeah, you on. see it in your comments every time. I could be talking about the weather outside. <laughs> and they go, somebody go come in there like, what he just need to suck it up? Whatever happened <laughs> with his gospel album or whatever the case may be, he just need to suck it up. And nobody, everybody can't, with the one guy said, everybody can't be Tito Jackson. And I went on his page and heard his singing. This man sound like <laughs> sound like somebody starting <laughs> up a, a chainsaw. But people will always have opinion when it's not them. But then same people, I remember when my mom was passing, one, one last thing. My mom was in the hospital in a coma. And I walked in a room and started crying because that's my mama, you know? Mm-hmm. And it was a pastor that came to visit. He goes, hey, what it? She can hear you. Get yourself together. And I wasn't to me, I was back then. So I listened to him and I got together. That same pastor jumped in the casket with his mother at her funeral, talking about get up. So he <laughs> oh, was being serious? more ridiculous. At least if my mama could hear me, maybe she would have got up. She got that bombing fluid to her. She's not getting up. So so many people just internalize, and they make the groups and these celebrities and stuff, they make them their business and their priority. The way as though their own life could be in shambles, but they so worried about what these people need to do. So I'm just glad that, like I was saying, I'm glad that it's coming out, that people can see it. And see that it's not just one person complaining about this happening. This is common stuff. Like, even though they might have never seen stuff like this, this is common stuff that happens in the industry. So people should watch with a thing with their lenses to learn as opposed to saying what they think somebody need to do. Just watch it and see these things that happen and actually ask yourself if somebody did that to you. Somebody stole the check from you while you was pregnant. Would you be in a hurry to get back up on some stage and get to singing with them? and just brush that over like nothing never happened. And maybe some people would, because some people would do anything for money. But um. Yeah, but, but uh, you know, it gets me reflecting when I interviewed Mike and Slim, and and he talks about, they talked about Daron and Q, um, mm-hmm. you know, taking them to court, and, and they've not seen each other, spoken to each other since they saw court. And most of us are like, man, can't you forgive each other and for the fans come back together? But I think it, it's hard for us as fans because we have the nostalgia of seeing the, you know, seeing the group together, seeing right. the memories that your music um, brought us. And so we just right. want to keep that back. But unless people listen to your interview telling how challenging it had was where you were getting bullied in a group that you formed right. with childhood people, friends, and they started to bully you to the point where you were, you know, it, it just, it was almost torture just being in there. No yeah, somebody not, told no, me I needed to cut my hair off because they wanted to be the only one in the group with cornrows. Like <laughs> stupid, petty stuff, man. It's just dumb stuff. But at the end of the day, like I told you before, like we can say me, Slim, Deron, Q, Mike, anybody, or the ladies from Escape can say this all day long. But at the end of the day, people, the fans are going to want what they want. They don't care nothing about none of that. 
anything that you can show somebody like on Tom and Jerry and um, Bugs Bunny and them drop an anvil on somebody's head. Mm-hmm. And then the next day, as long as he's still living, they say, man, that man need to come out that life support. He know ain't nothing wrong with him. He need to get on stage with his brothers. They need him. And that's what the culture need that. I'm like, what yeah. the culture ever do for me? <laughs> I owe the culture anything. And do it for the culture. Do it for this. Yeah. Do it for that. People just want what they want. And it don't matter. When you say people don't care if you're okay. They only care if you're good enough to do what it is that they want you to do. And they don't care about none of that other stuff. Yeah, I mean, I didn't realize because, um, you know, when I spoke with um, LJ from um, Profile, mm-hmm. and he, you know, they had the, the the third album on the table, and he says, "I can't do it, guys. I, I mentally and physically, I can't do this, and we need to. I need to. We need to leave because I. It's just not. We don't. I'm going to leave the deal, Motown, and everything, because the, it's you know." I'm not making any money. We're singing somebody else's songs. They're not giving us publishing. And I'm and no one's caring about my well-being. Mm-hmm. And everyone's thinking, well, why would you leave the industry? As if it's, you know, because we assumed you guys were once you signed to a label, you're just making millions of dollars and everything's fine. But then, you know, I've um, never seen a million dollars. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, so when you when you look at that situation, but when you look at those groups that have the issues, um, you know, with this reality show, I talked about something earlier. Is that you're gonna have like different? They have different recording artists. It's a different. It's an echelon. Mm-hmm. It's an echelon of success. So when you look in terms of somebody like an Escape SWV, the whole TV situation, that's like that's the high point because that's like the bar right now. That's the bar because there is no other large scale platform that's out there um for black artists really to especially legacy black artists to aspire to because you know everything is kind of like the parameters are narrow because we're doing streaming these artists were producer driven artists they sold physical copies so it's about adapt they're adapting to a new type of of climate in terms of entertainment and of course that's where the reality tv show comes in but here's the thing is that a lot of issues that we're seeing when we're watching these shows, these are issues that these people have had for decades. It's just the mm-hmm. fact that when they were out in their prime making music, you know, there was no reality TV. So whatever they had going on, that was in the background until it started to come to the forefront and they really fragmented and they broke up. And that's what like with a lot of groups. But when you look at them, and I'm glad that, you know, Escape is kind of back out into that spotlight because it's a testament to 90s music, but everything is like it rolls in loops. Because sooner or later, you know, people all of a sudden they go back to this music and realize I remember that group. They made great music, everything I love about them. But the but the mindset is when we see them on reality TV show, some people are gonna look at it like it's really dysfunctional, but there are gonna be a lot of people who are gonna tune into that and they're gonna see a hum- humanistic image of what the group is beyond the music videos, beyond the record sales, and they're going to have, make a connection with them. Like, I can see myself in these ladies based mm-hmm. on all the things that's actually going on. It's unfortunate that we're seeing the quote-unquote dirty laundry aired on television, but remember, is that we're in a, in a period where people are desensitized from that. So they're not looking at these people like, you know, like it's a bad thing. It's just now we're probably in about 15 years, almost 20 years into reality TV. 
But if you remember Escape, when they were doing music, you're like, well, wow, you know, that part of it, that's some, maybe some stuff that you really don't want to know. But that's how it was with artists back then, years ago, is that we they, they made a conscious effort of putting the music out. But behind the scenes, these people were drug addicts. They were uh, beating up women and just all type of dysfunctional behavior. But it was something that you had to keep that behind the scenes because the way entertainment was, it was about your image. So anything that was going to conflict with that, that stuff was going to be behind the scenes. So they'll be, you see them behind on the camera, they're smiling, they look good. But behind, when they get off, they want to go shoot up and get that, you know, the heroin in them or whatever that is. Same situation with a lot of these, these, these female groups is that the energy that we have, we see the glamour, we see all of that is going on. Man, but there's a lot of stuff that they actually have to go through within the industry. You're dealing with the chauvinistic mentality of the industry, producers, you know, situation with the business side, you know, all of that. And that can really break a break a person. Because remember, these people now in their 40s, but their right. greatest success that they ever had for a lot of them was were in their 20s. So imagine being successful in your early 20s and at that point in time, that's supposed to be the period where you're supposed to reap the benefits and you don't reap the benefits and you go through your life as you get older and older and somebody like you, oh, so-and-so escape in, in your eyes. Wow, that's major. I'm seeing someone from escape, but from that person, that's the worst part of their lives because all they can associate that with is I'm being robbed, embezzling <laughs> my money, I'm being bullied. And that's a hard thing to contend with. And you know from the artists that you have on your platform is that to look back at that time for some of them, it's extremely painful. We, we only have to look at Woody here because, you know, he, no you know, yeah, you don't I'm, look I'm, at everything you, you just back. said. Everything yeah, you just said, man. That, like, I tell people that was the worst time of my life. And, I'm gonna and tell it's like you people something. going to give their memories and say, oh, I got married to this song. Or I got my first piece of coaching to this song. I was like, well, I got told to sit in the corner because I, I wasn't <laughs> good enough to this song. And then I got told that a group that I started, now somebody else, I got to tell people that this person started the group because they don't sing like the rest of us. And we don't want people to think they're not here for nothing. But, so and, that's and what happened to me to these songs. You know, I, rem I remember when you started going on your platform in the early 2000s and you started really like sharing a lot of stuff, man, they was making it seem like you was crazy. Yeah, that's <laughs> what they always do to people that's telling the truth. They were making it seem like you were crazy. Mm -hmm. Um, oh, he want to go do this gospel. I, 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 I remember. I remember you did the uh, the magazine. Uh, thank God. Even on 54, I still got a good memory. I remember when you did the sister to sister interview. Mm hmm. With Jamie Foster Brown, and you yeah. kind of laid it all out mm -hmm. in terms of everything that had happened, but people were making it seem like, and this at the time when Scope was like huge, but yeah. they was making it seem like Woody was crazy. But the <laughs> bottom line, they were making it seem like, oh man, this guy, he's complaining, he's he's he, he's just really mentally off because he's sharing like, hey, this didn't happen. I was trying to do this, and you know, but the way they were doing it. And, and, and it goes back to the industry mentality is that we're going to go ahead and put together a group. And instead of creating music where it's going to showcase the singing, the identity of the group, they made one person the identity. But in the short term, it might have been good in terms of record sales and the visual aspect of it. But now, now, 25 years later, after the success, like I said earlier, 
Now you need seven of them. Now you need seven of them to replicate what four of them used to be able to do. And it's a shame because instead of some their, their producers and management tapping into the individual gifts to go ahead to deal with the, the, the legacy, the long-term aspect of it. But remember, they're kids. They ain't got no Otis Williams like the Temptations are saying, hey, we're going to do this, we're going to do this, we're going to do this. You got to, we're going to put you out. They don't have that. They're young people. So they got older people that's driving their careers. You can say the same situation, maybe with an escape or with an SWV. And that, 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 that dynamic, you see the conflict. I've seen the, the early, the first uh, reality show with SWV. And I'm seeing, you know, Coco, oh, yeah. all, all respect to her. But you see Coco, and then it's the other two. And you see Coco, she's kind of holding the group hostage because she's the lead singer. So a lot of the energy is like going her way. She's controlling because they can't do it without her. So I've seen Lily and Taj be upset because it's like she's the one. She's the one that's actually just pulling the strings because, again, the way everything was set up, she had the main power in the group. So no, and that was always now, my, I don't that, know. Yeah, yeah. But that was that was that was always my biggest thing about mm -hmm. um why I didn't um like SWV back in the day was I just felt that when you have one person being a lead singer and a backup, you you, you create a Diana Ross and Supremes and she can move away, or you can create Beyonce and Destiny's Child and they can just move away. But, or, but she, but she did they, move away, and it didn't work. Yeah, she or you, or you create a, a Kenny Green and um, a Kenny Green and intro, and he's not there, and the group falls apart. I, 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 so that was the one thing I liked about Blackstreet, where there wasn't a lead singer, so they could move around, and you, and you, and and as long as Teddy was there, you, you someone could sing. And it, compared to an Aaron, I think when I. Coco's come has later have said that she she suffers with bipolar, and anyone who understands bipolar knows that it is a disorder that that you go up and down. That one minute you could be the sweetest person, then the next minute you can be like the Incredible Hulk, and you tend to have medication that helps you try and balance that out. Because when you have one of those days, you you can just you, you, if you think of um, a thin line between love and hate. That um, Woodfield, the lady, when she was just oh, going, yeah. that's that kind of when somebody's up there, that's bipolar. Where, yeah, so that's exactly what it's like. You know, that make a lot of sense. I never knew that about her. But yeah. the first time I ever met Coco, we were at, uh, Kelly did a song and it ended up on the Princess Diana soundtrack. It was called Every Nation. And he had like every group that was hot at that time. It was like even the end of 96, beginning of 97. It was Us, 112, SWV. Curtis Mayfield was there. Before he passed away, he was in a wheelchair in the video that we shot. I don't know if the video ever came out, but he was there. And Coco came up to me. We met them for the first time, and I got photo album where as though I always try to take pictures. I'm a big <laughs> fan of everybody. So I went to, to take a picture with her and her group and everything. And um, I don't know where um, Taj was at, because I don't remember meeting Taj to this day, but I met Lily, and she was hella cool. But yeah. I walked up to Coco, and she was like, um, you sing that song. April showers on y'all um album. I said, yes, ma'am. And she said, you got the voice of an angel. He's like, I don't know about you. I don't look nothing like the way how you sound. I was like, damn, I'm kind of fucked up. You know, like, you don't look nothing like how you sound. Like, I don't look that bad. Granted, at that time, I was going through some stuff. 
and I was looking a little off, but I'm like, some things you think, but you don't say. But then the <laughs> second time I spoke to her, she was married to um, our drummer at the time, oh, Big yeah, Mike yeah. Clemens. Well, he wasn't our drummer anymore, but he produced on our record, so we were cool. So when I did my gospel project, I had spoken to her around the time that she did her gospel project. And she was so cool. She was like, I was like, man, I'm so happy you're doing gospel now. She's like, yeah, I'm following in your footsteps, you know? I was like, dang, she's nice to me now. <laughs> so it's like, it was night and day. The first time I met her, yeah. she was telling me how ugly I was. And then the second <laughs> time, she was like, yeah, I'm following your footsteps doing the gospel music. So that makes a lot of sense. It almost made me look at her a little differently. But you know, but another thing too is this time humbles people. This I, is I don't true. know her. Time will humble you because when you're like on top and you're having the success and you have the notoriety, sometimes, mm -hmm. man, it just affects your mentality in terms of how you deal with other people. Because even though she's paying you a compliment, mm -hmm. it's still a, it's, it's still undermining you. It's still criticism mm -hmm. that's actually there. But mm -hmm. think about it. It's been 30 years it's been 30 right. years, so now the group has kind of come down to earth. Mm. So everybody's at the same level. Everybody's a legacy artist. So now she, what she's doing, she's seeing the value in you because now she's kind of come down to earth. So mm. for a lot of those people, I definitely understand people had their problems and stuff like that. But you mm. already know that when people are successful, they just have this aura about them, this energy about them where they come across the where it's kind of like when they deal with people, it can be kind of like dismissive. They may not try to be, but it's that energy that's there, but it takes oh, yeah. time. It takes time. And then before you know it, they're super humble. And you know what else it takes too? Sometimes not saying her, cause I don't know who she be with, but a lot of times these artists, some of these artists got them yes men and yes women around them. And mm -hmm. even during the time where they should be humble 30 years later, some people still got them same egos from in the 90s because they still have one or two people that travel with them or there's management or security or whatever that still pump their head up and make them think that it's still the 90s. And they still got yeah. them egos. So yeah. I just credit to somebody who did humble down even you know under those circumstances because some people don't have no money. Some people have other people living in their house with them or have access to them. You'd be like, Yo, why this person always over your house? Why they don't never go home? But truth be told, they be the ones paying the rent and the light bills. Yeah. And these people still don't be humble. They still be walking around talking like they something special. So Yeah, but yeah. I, I, as I said, because you, know, you, you, you brought up Sheldon, the first SWV documentary and, and they all had that falling out. And so... Because Coco has admitted she had bi has bipolar, uh, and knowing working within mental health, how you know, I mean, when I was working in inpatients, we, we you know, people most some 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 women who hadn't been diagnosed on time were admitted into were, were sectioned and into and 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 and, and kept um, in 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 our in our wards until they were able to manage the control. So to to think that you know she went around undiagnosed and had to struggle with, with all of that. So now that she admits it, she knows that she has to have time off when she's going for an episode. So she just disappears and, and gets herself back on track and then and, and then comes out. The thing is that, you know, unless she tells a story and uh, all the time, you may see her on a reality show or see her in person and you, you don't know what version comes out. Now, but look at that. But yeah. look at that, though, is that when you see that, and yeah, we could be sensitive to the fact that they have 
the mental issues and the stuff that, they, that she has going on. Mm-hmm. And you have to respect that because you should never prejudge people and all of that. But yeah. when you, but at the same time, you can't take away from the fact of how her behavior and other artists who have like maybe I won't say similar issues, but certain challenges, how it impacts their group mates because it's no, it's it's not a secret. There's a period of time when Lily tried to commit suicide. Yeah, she, she I mean, tried to jump out a window. You know what I'm yeah, saying? She, so, but look, but 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 that come, all comes to the situation within the group. Not saying it's Coco's fault, but when you look at the whole dynamics and the stress. It is being in a group and all of that. You can't discount how that could have impacted that. I'm not saying it's the sole reason, yeah. but you know, you have those issues, but yeah, you can come, you can talk about it now, but back then, you know, you might've had it, but when you were receiving all the notoriety, notoriety and the attention and all these type of things like that, it wasn't an issue, but time, but what happens is everybody comes down to earth. Yeah. But then success, go ahead. But then, like Willie, what happens with labels? Because you know, people might start thinking, you know, you 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 sang, jazz sang, but then why was it? It it almost became like you know Gladys Knight and the Pips with Drew Hill, where it was Cisco and 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 the backup singers, and is that a label decision, and management decision to put one in the forefront? But if that is the case. How does it make you feel? Because that's how Lily was like. Like, look, I love Coco. I believe she was it was one of the f- best singers out there. But I thought I could have a moment to shine, and it isn't taking anything from Coco. But it was about why can't people recognize and and bless my 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 talent? And so a lot of those. If I used to love VH1's Behind the Music, and a lot of the rock bands would admit, yeah, we hated the fact that he was making all the money because. He wrote all the songs and we didn't realize that that's where you make the money and stuff. And they aired out their differences, made, re- resolve things. But for yourself, Woody, you know, I, 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 you know you've, you've spoken openly about how you were, you were bullied and mistreated. But could you then start to see that I started this thing with Cisco, you know, we came up with the name of everything, but now he's the superstar and we're his backup dancers. And then there's their sense of jealousy in those early days. I, I, like, why has he been given all this stuff before they started, you know, doing what they were doing? I was, but me, it was my situation, and it's probably not unique because there are probably some other artists that I don't know about. Sheldon probably would know, but it's like when my situation was a little unique. Like, I actually started the group back in high school, mm. and we would come every day after school. Me and a group of guys would come and sing and record each other, record ourselves. I had a teacher that used to let us borrow her um, audio-visual equipment and record at the um, school and everything. So what happened was my mom took me out of the group because we weren't singing gospel music. So during the time where I was out of the group, they actually went on and used to do shows and talent shows and stuff like that. And then at some point they met jazz and he came into the group. So then it became a thing of Cisco and Jazz being like the one, two guys to go to or whatever, you know? So then like when they got discovered by the guy who took them, the guy Hak Islam, that took them up to Island where we met um, Hiram Hicks, he basically was married to the idea of Cisco and Jazz being the one, two punch. So then at some point it was another guy in the group that took my place when my mom took me out. So a guy named Chris. And he really didn't sing that much. He was basically in the group, like he held down the harmony and Chris was like a personality. 
like people they would go in hood neighborhoods and stuff and they wasn't scared to go there because Chris would handle business or what. So he had that was his role. So then when they asked me to come back, they was like, if we turn into a gospel group so you could come back, because we really want you back. They knew what I brought to the table, whatever. We want you back in the group. Sister would call me all the time. Like, would you come back? You think if your mother, you think if we became a gospel group that your mother would let you come back or whatever. So I'm thinking I'm coming back to my old spot that I had, which was like, I was one of the primary songwriters. Mm-hmm. I was probably like the first songwriter because other people would write songs and they'd be like, why y'all always want to sing James songs, which is my real name, and don't want to sing mine. But like, I was probably like the principal songwriter and I sung, you know, like it wasn't, it was more like a boys to men format where it's everybody sung. It wasn't like one lead singer, everybody mm-hmm. sung. Like people might feel this person is the main voice, whatever boys to men, but everybody got a chance. Like on most songs you hear like all, all four of them or at least three of them, you know, Mike only sung bass, sung a solo part on probably like one song, but gee, you know, that was his thing. He was the bass man, but Nate, Wanye and Sean all like alternated on the verses and stuff. So that was like the kind of format that we had. So then when I come back, I'm knowing that I'm coming back. They, I figure if you became a gospel group just so I would come back, you don't want me just there just to stand in the back. You feel me? And I'm not needing to sing on every song. So it wasn't ever like a jealousy thing. Like I don't need to sing on every song. My thing is, and I started to wear that shirt instead of this one. I have a shirt and it's, I'm an INFJ personality, which means introverted, intuitive feeling and judging and one of our things i just want to make a difference wherever i am so it's like if we singing if i played on the lakers i wouldn't i don't need to be lebron as long as i get to touch the ball at some point in the game and i make some points i so i'm cool with being there but if i'm just on the team warming the bench my jersey don't never get no sweat on it i feel like put me on another team that's not winning any games and let me help them win a couple games even if we don't win a championship i just mm. felt st- inactive like, you know like i just want to feel like i'm contributing and that was my biggest thing like i don't gotta be on every song if we got this song and it's going or whatever like that i'm not gonna say oh man that sucked because i'm not on there oh man well he get to sing all the songs it's not that I just wanted at some point to show, be allowed to showcase what I do well, because what I don't do well is dancing. So it's like if people just know me as the guy that's messing up with dance steps, and then it <laughs> didn't help that I started the group, but then another guy who wasn't singing, he's like, oh, well, me, you, and Jazz sing, so we got to give him something so people don't wonder why he there. So if you give him my thing, I'm not singing. I'm singing. Y'all know I can sing, but the people don't know because they only hear the singles. And when people only hear the singles, they tend to think even on the songs that's not singles, when they hear it, they don't put two and two together. I remember a song that we did called Without You that we did with Jay Moss. And it was on Cisco. It was supposed to be our first single for our third album, but something happened. So it ended up coming out on Cisco's second album. But people that look at it, if you look at the comments on it on YouTube, people like, I like how Cisco switched his voice up to singing real <laughs> laid back right there. And then somebody knew they said, that's not Cisco. That's Woody. And a whole 40 comment thing ensued because nobody knew that was me because they're not used to hearing me sing. So when I do sing, they didn't even know it was me. So that's all I wanted was just an opportunity that people can know that he's here for a reason and he's just not here because it is some groups like we was talking earlier about the Jacksons where though everybody was capable of holding their thing down. I just wanted people to know that I'm here. I'm not just here for wall dressing. 
Coco already told me I ain't had no face of no angel, so let me let y'all do something, right? Why y'all got me here and I ain't just a homeboy hookup, they're just hanging out. So that was always my thing. It wasn't ever a thing of I wanted to be the lead singer because like as far as like lead singing, uh, stuff goes along with that. Like you got to have a certain charisma, you got to have a certain, you know, so and I figured that that was great for him because for for little guy, because he's a great dancer, you know, and he had the, his KC impression down pack. So I'm like, let that man do his thing or whatever. But just let me, can I get an ad lib here there like Brad B on um, what a girl wants with Brad B say, why? Can I say why? Or something like that sometime. And then when I do say why, my mom used to say when we did the song with Foxy Brown and we did the little um, parts on there, each one of us had a little hook. And my mom was like, why is it when it comes your turn or Jazz's turn to sing? this guy still got to come up and put his arm around your neck or something and let people know you're still there. She's like, sir, you five feet tall and you got blonde hair. We know you there. You don't always <laughs> got to be in the camera. So it's just like, just let me have my little two seconds. That's all I My I little two seconds. And to piggyback off of what he said, this is the thing is the group element. And see, we're talking about records and we're talking about videos, but it used to be everything he's talking about. Groups have always had, a lot of those issues in terms of the presentation and what their roles are and all of that. And we already know if we bring it up into contemporary terms, we see new edition, right? And they're unique individuals. But if you take that microphone, that, that microscope and you put it on a group, you're going to see what Ronnie DeVoe brings to that group in okay. terms of the choreography, because he's very, they all dance. Mm. And here's the thing we're going to understand is that, as a natural dancer. So it's one thing you can get out there and you smooth like Ralph and you can jump out front and do whatever you do. But in terms of being able to smoothly execute within a group setting, within the choreography, Ronnie is very fluid. So when you, but see the thing about it is because they are a state, they make records, but they are a visual performing group. You can look at that group and you can, now you can make that connection because there are a lot of people who like Ronnie more than they like Ralph or Johnny, whoever it may be, because they see how smooth he is. And when you, there was a period of time before music videos, and of course records were out, but the biggest thing was the show, was the concert. So that's how where you really saw a group in their true element, because you would have a lead singer, but you would have a guy that would come out, he had the high voice, you had a guy that had the nice baritone, or you had a guy that would get to the microphone and he would do what Michael Bivens now do talking talking in the beginning and introduce the singers and intro so everybody had their lane of what right. they were good at right you go back and you watch like teddy pendergrass when he was with the blue notes or whatever that is they all dancing but you see teddy not dancing in the group because he said he can't dance but they made sure <laughs> they made sure that okay dancing is not his thing so he's in the middle so when they do that little choreography he's just standing there just moving around or whatever <laughs> but it don't matter because the bigger part is the show. So what everybody's good at doing, they're going to execute that. And that's going to be the selling. That's going to be the selling point. So, yeah, but the thing about it is, is that once music moved away from like the show element, because that's what it was like with the Gladys Knight and the Pips, they are a visual show. So the, the Pips are not background dancers. They're, they're, they're singing background vocals, but they are a major part of the show because Gladys Knight can get up there and sing, but when you mm -hmm. see them guys sing and do the choreography and all that, so we get them mixed up with the background dancers like you see, you know, it might be a Chris Brown or a Jody Watley or Janet Jackson, and they got the background dancers. These guys are a group. 
So when you look at Drew Hill, same situation. You got guys with different vocal tones, vocal textures, and all of that. So when you hear it on the record, you're like, wow. But you don't know it's Woody because every time you see the music video or when you see the records, when you, the music video specifically, you're always going to think it's Cisco because, you know, until you see them on stage. But the emphasis is the music video and the emphasis is in the record. So you don't necessarily really know. And that's the that's the tragedy in terms of um, like you see a SWV going back to an escape, because even though everybody's singing but you have one primary primarily lead singer when they and that's the that's the problem a lot of those groups they were record groups they were studio groups but they weren't performing groups so even though what was going on on the music video what's mm -hmm. going on on the record but when you hear them sing on stage you can look and see that oh wow candy's really good this one is really good but you don't know that because everything is like, it's totally different from how it was before. And of course, you already said it before, the producers, they pushed, they pushed this, they pushed that. But back in the days when you had a stage group, stage situation, when you had to create a show, everybody had their thing. Or if somebody we did that, when singer, we did the live show, we would break it down just like 112. Like we would do a tribute, each one would do a tribute to one of their favorite artists and we'd do like one section we'd break it down in the middle of a song and then like you said the fans be like wow you can sing or oh, dang he does that or he does that <laughs> and then my other biggest thing too was like as far as the show i'm like i'm not a dancer so i'm like can i be like how you said teddy and i heard the same thing with jodeci why they didn't how they danced and got in love and then you ain't see him dancing no more because Devonte wasn't a dancer just like i'm not a dancer you know but these people made concessions and did other things but with me i was like all right Big, big man is big, so somebody got to keep their shirt on with big man. We know you in shape too, Wood, but somebody got to keep their shirt on with big man, and me and this guy want to take our shirts off, so you should keep yours on with him. All right, now, me, you, and Jazz sing, but this guy don't really sing like that, so in order for him not to look bad, Wood, why don't you not sing with him? So I'm making these concessions. I'm not singing. I'm not taking my shirt off and doing things that I could do, but then when I ask, can it be a concession made for me with the dancing, I'm like, hey, let's do it like Mike. Not saying that nothing was wrong with Mike for real, because I don't know if it was or wasn't. But Mike had a cane, so he ain't had to get up there and do stuff. I said, let me come up with a cane. Don't nobody know me. These people don't know me. Let me walk with a cane real cool. Oh, no, we can't do that. You got to dance. All of us got to dance. So I made concessions for everybody else. But when it was time for me with my shortcoming, it was just like, I suck it up. You got to do but they don't under But they don't understand is that, like, you, you who you are. So they're right. all doing their thing. They're taking their shirt off. And then right. they go into a different song, and then you come out there, you change the whole energy in the room. Exactly. And now it gives you a totally different dynamic. So they're doing exactly. what they're doing. Now, let's say you're on stage, and all they are singing or whatever. And all of a sudden, they get done doing what they're doing. The lights go down or whatever. And next thing you know, you're in the middle over there on the stage with the mic, and everything is there. And they're there harmonizing, doing whatever it does. Mm -hmm. What it does, it gives a whole element to your exactly. show. To where people want to come see you again and again, but and again, even Hawk, Hawk used to say that he wanted me because back then I was really good at impressions. I'm very rusty now, so it probably would suck if I tried to do it now. But I used to sing Michael Jackson, "You Are Not Alone," and he like we used to he used to get me to sing it in the car on the way up to auditions and stuff like that all the time. And then he would be like, "Why don't we incorporate that in the show?" 
He's like, that's great. When when Wood does that, man, like, you know, like, y'all guys know how y'all feel about it, but always somebody like, oh, no, I don't think that's a good idea. I think we should focus on our songs, and I think we should just focus on the singles that we got out right now. I'm going to tell you something. I'm sounding kind of old right now, but I'm going to give you another. I always go back to the history. There's mm -hmm. a group called The Spinners, and they had mm -hmm. two singers. One guy was... Uh, he was Bobby. Bobby, I forgot his last name. And it was Felipe mm -hmm. Wynn. Everybody yeah. always thought Felipe Wynn was singing all the songs, but he was not singing all the songs all the way through. The guy, mm -hmm. Bobby, I forgot his name. He would come in. He had the smooth sound. And Felipe would come in and bring it home. And he had the ad-libs. And he right. was freestyle. And he mm -hmm. had that charismatic personality that people like. And on stage, they had a segment in that show where they would sing songs. And he would come out. And his part, he would had a part in this show where he would imitate Al Green. He would imitate Otis Redding. He would imitate all the hot singers out at that time. And if, mm -hmm. I got, I got to send you the video. Yeah, I, I love it. I got to send you the audio. Yeah, he's I love it. He, he's imitating all of the singers, and the crowd is losing their mind. But the emphasis mm -hmm. is on the show, right? It's on the show, right? So yeah. when it, and, and then he tried to go solo, and he was like, "Man!" And then when it didn't work out. He was like, man, nobody really cares about me because the group, the group is the thing. So when you look at Jodeci, even though Casey and JoJo are the voices, mm -hmm. but it's something about when you see the four of them come together, yeah. people Almost just kind of lose they, they lose their Almost mind. You talk about in terms, of, in terms of the skill and talent, Devontae, don't, he don't dance. So they gotta, right. what, what he got to do? He got to do the whole don't talk. He got yeah, he got he, he got it. Cool. Listen, he, he got be cool. Yeah, and he wrote all the songs. Yeah, and then Dalvin is just like energy personified. Like he just come up there and just so energetic and so hype on the stage that you just you know you get into what he's doing. So everybody got something, right? Everybody got something that make it what it is, you know. But it's so something. Yeah, but it's something about. Um, as I mentioned, with, with white, white groups, and, and a lot of it was the songwriting, and, and most people not realizing that they made a lot more money after, other than the tour money, is that then they, they are able to have a conversation and talk it out, and, and to some sort of some cases, um, go back on the road a little bit strong because they've, they've been able to air their well, differences. Not, not, but not I just, well, not, not, yeah, not, 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 not all the time. I guess a group now, a journey in, in, in the media right now, they got mm -hmm. individual bodyguards and security that, well, we don't want to see him. I don't want to see him in my face. And they, the same dynamic that we have with the black groups, and I mean uh -huh. to cut you off, they have that same dynamic. But you're right. Uh -huh. they, 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 some of them know how to come together for the business, for the money. But you're right. So how about that? Yeah. But, 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 but also recognize, though, that, okay, but our, our journey touring together despite the, the friction. They're, they're touring together, but here it is. They're not touring with their lead singer because their lead singer was like, you know what? He left them like 20 years ago. And he's the one that's affiliated with all the hits. Right. He got Perry. the other guy that sounds just like him. He's a, he's a Filipino the, the guy. guy. He, Filipino, he's a Filipino yeah. guy. He was doing karaoke imitating mm -hmm. Journey. And they got him it. and they pulled him in the group. So he's been with the group for like about 20 years. But Steve Perry left in the 80s, even though he's right. the guy that's associated with all the songs. He said, I could never be with them. Yep. There's a group. There's a group called Sticks. You had a guitar player. It's like you, like you started the group with somebody else. Same with Sticks. They had two people, and they had two different agendas in terms of the direction they wanted with the group, and they wound up splitting up. But for the most, Bon Jovi. 
same situation. But in the end, a lot of those groups say, you know what? The bigger thing is, is we got to go ahead and get the money. Even when you look at the Rolling Stones, it's four of them. Mm-hmm. Keith and Mick are almost like the, the main guys. Mm-hmm. And everybody else, sometimes they've had their issues. But the biggest thing is, you know what? Okay, we know what the fans want to see. Yeah. So what we got to do, we got to go off and do our individual projects. Now, our, our individual projects might not sell like Rolling Stone stuff, but I'm satisfying my creative ability to go out and do other things. Like if Woody was able to go ahead and do the gospel album, go out and do the gospel album like Michelle did from Destiny's Child, go out, do the gospel album, come back to the group. Yeah. He didn't satisfy, he didn't satisfy his creative space. Now he can get back into the group. Philip Bailey, Falsetto, Earth, Wind, and Fire. Moved out, did some gospel albums, came back to the group. Yep. Like they said, touch my gospel album. The one who had the influence with the record label convinced them not to release my album. He admitted it to me because I was on contract that I had to come back and do the third album. We in Jamaica recording and he admitted to me while we was walking along the beach. Like, yeah, I'm the one that told him don't let you go, y'all. And I was scared you wasn't going to come back and do this, that, and the third. So it's like, like even with BBD and them. Oh, everybody from New Edition was able to release their project and show everybody, get off their chest what they had to get the gas off their chest. Then he was able to come back and do New Edition again. But this so, um, this particular ensemble, they didn't want that. Jazz album still never came out. And Jazz got some of the most phenomenal music that I've ever heard. And I've heard and love a lot of music. And they never his project was never allowed to come out. My project was sabotaged to the point where they told the people don't allow me to come out with any videos or anything. It came out in stores and wasn't even any press release or anything. Like the people that got it just happened to see it. And it was just like, oh, okay, two, it's here. Two years, two years before COVID, Ralph Tresvent did a um, they did a, they did a segment. It was called um, it was an all black. It was the, the network was called All Black. So he they did an interview with him. It was like a segment for an mm-hmm. hour, and all he talked about in the, was how he sacrificed his individual goals and musical ambitions for mm-hmm. the rest of the group. Mm-hmm. So, and you already saw from the new edition biopic, the, the miniseries, yeah. is that everything is built around him. And he's like, hey, add him, add him, make it a group situation. He always talked about how in this, in this segment, mm-hmm. how he, he sacrificed. So while wow. everybody was doing their thing, he played the background. Or he right. or he could have been the main guy, bigger than what he was, but he spread the love around the group. And then when it came right. time for them, the guys to come back around again. Everybody mm-hmm. went solo and they all did their individual projects. He felt that in his prime, in his peak, he didn't take advantage of what he was supposed to take advantage of. Right. And Ralph is a, like, I met him, I did a play with Ralph before, him and Christopher Williams and um, Jackie, Miss Jackie Clark from the closest, we all did a play together. And like, mm-hmm. I could tell from his personality, Ralph is not, he's an unselfish person and he's, he's secure. Some people are not secure with, though they think, oh, if they, people hear this person, then they might don't like me no more. Oh, if they see this person do this, then they not going to come to see me no more. Ralph didn't have that about himself, but some people in my outfit seem like that could have been part of the case, too. Oh, if they hear him, then they ain't going to love me the same way no more. If they see him do this, then they ain't going to feel the same way about me. So in that way, certain ones of us were suppressed and held back. You know, like even with Jazz had a solo project and the same thing happened. They Somebody put out some phone calls. They good with some people in the industry, put out some phone calls to get Jazz's single pulled off of the air when he was getting airplay and stuff like that. Talking about he could have done that with us. Some people don't want they figure people see. And then the reason why we came back together and did the third album 
is because the guy from Baltimore, I told you about him before, he know he was signed to Rodney, guy named mm-hmm. Tony Curtis. And he can he does very good impressions, but he do the impressions like in the studio. Like how the guy sound like Steve Perry, he can sound just like little guy. So he did a song and him and Jazz is good friends. So him and Jazz did the song and they asked me to be on it. So then when people heard it, they was like, what, Drill got a new song? And two people from Drill wasn't on it, but it had that same sound. You see what I'm saying? So in order to stop that from happening, somebody put their solo album on hold, their third solo album on hold, and somebody else came back to Baltimore from living somewhere else because they want people to think that they the ones that hold that sound in a capsule. So when that sound was getting ready to come out and they had nothing to do with it, then that's when everybody was ready to play ball. So it's it's a whole different dynamic. But Nambi, you said it, though. You said it right before we jump into something else is that the white groups, they find a way to put it together with the black yep. groups. They don't necessarily do it because the industry set up for them to do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, so, I mean, just as we finish, I mean, we, we do wish, you know, the, and the reason why this is brought up was because of the Queens of R&B docuseries, which oh, is yeah. Escape and TLC and, uh, sorry, and uh, SWV. And, you know, you know, you know, Woody first-hand experience of what it's like being in a group and just because we've not we didn't see I mean, the only thing we saw with Drew Hill was the radio station little They had a reality show on BT Centric. No, but but the the, the the radio show where you came out and said you're quitting the group oh, that while live and air. Thing, man. We said that they wanted the, that's what happened. They wanted a reality show. So they asked me because I actually quit the group via email. And on Super Bowl Sunday, I sent them an email because it was a commercial on there from careerbuilder.com and was a heart that was trying to quit their job. A lady was trying to quit a job and the heart jumped out of her chest and wrote, I quit and walked it into the manager. So when I saw that, I sent the email that night. And then the next morning I got responses back from everybody. And then they asked me to come to the radio station because they were doing the show and then they had Tao already and they didn't want people to be like, where this guy come from and where is Woody? So they asked <laughs> me to go to the radio stage because Tao was Jazz's artist and he sung so good that when he went to the label, I think they knew the direction that they was going with music from then on, whereas though they was really not much about great singing and auto turn and stuff, they said he sang too good. So they was looking for an outlet for him anyway. So when I left, they put Tao in the group. So they was like, so people won't be like, where this guy come from and what happened to Woody? Well, who are you? What are you done with Woody? Then they asked me to come to the station. And then they was like, when I got there, they was like, can you say that on the air, basically what you said in the email? And then they said, yo, don't please don't hit me for real, but I'm gonna jump in your face and I'm gonna act like I'm ready to fight you or whatever, whatever. And they had cameras there and they actually recorded like two versions of that. And then it ended up on, you know, like on the radio station. And for years, they told me, don't say anything because I could get the people at the radio station in trouble because they knew what was going on, which is really crazy. It sounds like, don't tell your mother I've done this to you because she's going to be mad at me. And then we're going to have to get a divorce or whatever. It was stupid, <laughs> but I fell for it back. Dumb me fell for it. So I never said anything about it up until the unsung. And then they included it in the version they showed me. But then when they put it on TV, they said, Keith Sweat on the footage now. So he wouldn't allow them to use it with them admitting that that was fake. But now, I mean, if you look at it, you from Baltimore, you from out this way, brother Sheldon, you know, they ain't had nobody fight in real life. <laughs> so that was just definitely like a, a ploy for them to get a reality show. I didn't actually quit the group on air. I quit the group. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. And that going back to full circle, that's like going back to what we started, Namdi, with this whole reality series with Escape and Escape. Right, that's why I said it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And, and the idea then is just to be able to recognize that there, um, to be recognized that it's hard to, we, what we see on TV doesn't say the, 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 the full picture as to what might have been happening. Resentment built up, jealousy. You know, Candy's going on her channel saying, um, you know, I, you know, I, 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 you know, I was the lead singer in, in on all on most of our songs, so why should I be jealous of her? And then it's like, um, but we don't know what it was like day to day all these years, and so we're seeing the the explosive part. And as I said, as a TV production company, you want to keep the best parts. So I mean, I hope them well. You know that there's. Um, uh, you know, both for SWV and Escape, we hope they, they wish them well. We just want to celebrate them. And we hope what Chris Rock did say is that the mama taught him not to fight in front of white folks and, mm-hmm. and uh, not being racist and stuff. But it's like you don't want to air all that stuff in public. You know, right. you, you, you want to try and hope and keep as much as you can to have a, a proper ca- uh, conversation. And, you know, when you do have sisters blood sisters not not like you know having that kind of fallout and and blaming blaming parents it's 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 a challenge it's a challenge but you know what too i mean as much as people you know people that make their money on um but them type of shows reality shows is not going to say nothing that's going to make them not be able to come back on the next show me not making no money off nothing like that i say this a lot of stuff be wwe too a lot of people will take situations and act them out and stuff like that and have in mind the whole time, we're going to make it like we fight. We're going to make it like we hate each other, like how Kanye and 50 and all them used to act like they hated each other. Yeah. <laughs> we going to sell the most records on that day, but then afterwards, they come together, holding each other hands up, shaking hands, slapping five. So for all we know, this yeah. whole thing could have been fabricated based on knowledge and stuff that people knew about the industry or based on stuff that came out. So we don't know, you know? It could be, but that's why the best thing to do is keep watching. Keep watching the show. And then we see how it end up. And maybe we could come back and talk about it after the finale come on. And just yeah. see who was right or see who was right and who was wrong, you know? And, that, and that's some low-frequency stuff, man, because you got two people like that, right? And mm-hmm. you got fans. And yeah. you're causing the fans to, to divide and split up. And that's the fans the got the energy. It's very That's low-frequency. Yeah. It is very low vibrational, but we yeah, live in a yeah. low vibrational world right now, man. You can go on right now and be sitting here talking with sense, but you can go, somebody can just go right now and go on another YouTube channel and see somebody shaking their naked butt in the screen and smacking their cheeks. You feel me? <laughs> that people love low vibration. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, definitely. I mean, it's, and, but it's, you know, um, yesterday I posted the, um, the top 10, you know, top 10 selling female artists and everyone said oh where's escape and i'm like well if they're not here it means they haven't sold as much as many records as saswv or the pointer sisters and they're like but you know sister sledge and they're like i mean that's their old groups how come they're they're still nominated but it's it's like you know if okay the, the, they had TLC at 85 million albums sold, Destiny Child at 70 million, The Supremes at 50 million. People might say Diana Ross and Supremes selling 50 million, but it's like they were pop, they were international, they were, you know, they were yeah. dominating the charts. So yeah. it's, you know, they, you know, 
the Pointer Sisters, you know, people, you know, they had songs that were crossing over, you know, so they were selling records. They weren't they just... They had songs that made commercials. Jump For My Love yeah. was like a, a laundry detergent commercial or something yeah. like they that. They were doing films. But I'm going to tell you, before all of that, in the 70s, yeah. they were huge. They won a Grammy for a country song. They sang a country song. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they, they oh, were in gospel country. Were they, they in the Blues Brothers, too? Um, I don't Blue know. Brother movie. I know Aretha Franklin was on there. I know, I know they remember, been, but they could have had a They were in car, car wash. wash. Okay, they were car wash. Yeah. So you when see? you look at that, like Nami's running down the list, right? Mm-hmm. But all people got to do is go look at the RIA, Recording Industry Association of America, go look at the numbers. Mm-hmm. That numbers don't lie. But then he's also giving you history. Right. Like Nami said is that these people were pop phenomenal long before so and so was doing their thing. But what happens is. When we're hearing escape, we're hearing these groups, we're emotionally attached to them, and it seems like they're bigger than what they are. Yeah. I'm gonna tell you this: you were just we're on that same point. I work in a corporate place, you know, and it's like as many people that look like us is gonna say something drill hill, this drill that he need to get off his whatever and get back with the drill on the drill hill train. When I tell you that people that don't look like us only know little guy, they don't know nothing about no drill hill. If they say like somebody black will come in there and be like, you know who he is? They'd be like, yeah, that's James. And they'd be like, you know what he used to do? He used to be at a singing group. And they'd be like, yeah, what group? And then they'll name the group and they'll start naming songs and stuff. And the only way they get them to know it, like, you know, little guy, like, oh, the one that sings the dog song? Oh, you were with him? That's all they know. Only people that know us is people that look like us. So it's like you step outside that world, it's a whole different world. That's the world that I live in. I got one well, for you. I was in the classroom one time and people were talking about new edition. Now, mind you, this is like maybe 2001, 2002. Mm-hmm. And same thing, white cats. And they're like, oh, oh candy girl? <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 Right. But, that, but that's why your black base is so important. And you need a black platform like Namdi to talk mm-hmm. about the history, to talk about right. the personal aspects of it, you know, You're the right. humanistic aspect of it. Because on the larger perspective, that pop audience who your management was pushing you out to, right? They, they, they only gonna be with you for a hot minute and then they're gonna right. move on. So your main base. So on the yep. average, if, if Drew Hill is selling maybe a million five, two million records, right? Maybe that five hundred thousand, seven hundred thousand, that's gonna be the audience that's gonna stick with you through the duration yep. of your career, and everybody yep. else is just jumping on the bandwagon. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, the reason why Sister Slade, the people, somebody said. They only had two hits. We're family and 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 the dance. And I said, Sister Sledge, you know, if I've seen, you know, I, you know, I'm, I was fortunate to interview Kathy, but I've seen some of the videos, and she's she's performing out in in Switzerland, and there's you know over ten thousand white folks jumping and dancing because those songs that they came out with. Were universal songs, you know, we are right. family and, and all that stuff was yeah, songs that, that song get played at, at ball games and stuff, wasn't it? The yeah. anthem like one of the basketball series, no, yeah. In, in, in 1979, right at the time, you had two records that were like anthems. You had We Are Family, and mm-hmm. ain't, ain't, ain't no stopping us now. So the mm-hmm. Pittsburgh Pirates had We Are Family, right? The Philadelphia, the Philadelphia Phillies had Ain't No Stop Us Now. But here's the thing. Uh, the sister says even write those songs, and those songs are it doesn't matter, they're so still huge. But if you talk to a DJ, 
Sister Sledge had other songs that were popular that were like dance records. They had maybe a couple mm -hmm. albums before the We Are Family album. That's the mm -hmm. album that submitted their history. But then mm -hmm. they had some other songs, some that are, that are not as high profile. But if you were a Sister Sledge fan, you know the entire catalog. Right. But think about it, Namdi. You put Sister Sledge out there, they could say, well, you know, they only got two songs. But they could, you could say the same thing with Escape. I'm not being disrespectful. Yeah, those kind of those, but I mean, I, I don't any of those songs after those three. I mean, they had some other ones, but not but, you know, but, it, but it's the but see, when you know the history, you know the context, you can say you can make the comparison. Okay, well, yeah, escape who you know, they only got like three songs that you know, Sister Sledge, you might know only two songs, but they got other ones, so it kind of negates the argument that where you can shut people down. With that, but because our people, we're not big, we into what's current, what's contemporary, and we don't know history, and it hurts us because that puts us in a bigger platform to celebrate our artists in terms of their greatness. So when you look at Escape, Escape had they had chemistry, they had great songs, even though Jermaine Dupree was doing his thing, but they had an appeal. Because think about it, there was a lot of female groups out at that time, but Escape kind of cut through that. So it's only like when you look at a lot of yeah, ex-girlfriend and this one and that one, but it's really only about five groups in the 90s that you kind of remember from the female side. You know, it may be maybe a little bit more, but the ones that stand out, it's always going to be SWB, TLC, Escape mm -hmm. in that conversation. When you look at that early to mid 90s, you know, there's some other ones later. Destiny Child is coming later, but those three groups are always going to be in the conversation, even though there's so many. There's this, there's, there's Jade. There's mm. ex girlfriend. Yeah, but yeah. to sell to sell albums, you know, because people were buying singles and stuff, but to sell, you know, 25 million albums like the Sister Sledge or 30 million like in Vogue, you know, you need you need a, a pop a, a wide audience to, to to shift up many albums consistently. I mean, but if you, you know, look at somebody is, now. Mm -hmm. If you look at somebody now that's looking at Beyonce, right? You're talking about Beyonce earlier. Yeah. And they would think that Beyonce is this bigger artist. But if you go on the RIA charts, Whitney Houston is moving numbers. She's moving more numbers than anybody. Wow. But people think like Whitney Houston, ah, she's pop, she's this, that, and the other. And Beyonce is the main. Mm -mm. You, you, you go look at like this streaming. Streaming is okay, but moving physical product. Yeah, you got yeah. three of Whitney Houston's albums, they are 10 million copies or more. Tony Braxton, there's a moment in time, Tony Braxton selling four, five, six million records. It's nobody. You look at the Beyonce situation, her albums might be platinum, they might be double platinum, and they may be double, triple over, over a course of time, a couple years. Man, but you're talking about selling 15 million copies in, in uh, 10 million copies in a year, eight million copies in a year, yeah, and then. 20 years, 30 years later, now you just sold another 10 million copies. They don't they don't know. These artists, the, the fans are like, they're, 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 they have an emotional connection that they, these artists are bigger than what they are. They're great, they're talented, but that's why it's good that you put those numbers out there, man. Best yeah, selling. I, yeah, yeah, it's selling. And as I said, I, I've, as I said, I've loved Escape and I love the singles, but I, I never thought that you know, because how many people, how many of us were buying all those albums and 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 stuff, and and can name more than just a few singles? SWV were very fortunate. They they you know their their first album had those bangers, 
and they had the ballads across those three three or four albums but you know and 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 they're older than than escape so they they you know they 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 different level. but as i said reality tv you, you know it is the it's a, it is the early it is the piggyback of wwe i think what it is you love you love your wrestling where you know you, they hit you with a chair doesn't necessarily mean it's a, it's a it's a strong chair and it, and they already know who's going to win um before right. they finish it. So they know the yeah. end game and the end game for them might be all of them on that stage together, holding hands and raising each other's hands up and the two sisters coming together. That'll be big for everybody playing with everybody's emotions. So yeah. let's just watch it. Let's, let's do another one, man. When, when the finale come on and we when can, get it comes on. Yeah. But the heat, the heat from escape came off of it. They were on some sort of award show. Right. And, and at that point, that was when the spark kind of like kicked off and they got that momentum, which is good, you mm-hmm. know. But, you know, going back to SWV, you talk about the first album. I mean, that album is like, it's dope. But one thing about what makes SUV, SWV unique, even though Coco was the main lead singer, they had a great vocal harmony blend. And when you heard them, you yeah. could hear them years ago and you hear them now on the new records. And you know yeah. that's them. They have a strong sonic identity with the with, with, with how they sing that blend so when you got to give them a lot of credit because they didn't get lost in the shuffle with a lot of groups even though the second album was dope third album was you know coco talked about shared her feelings about the records but i'm gonna tell you man when you see them together it's just like it's great so even though coco is the lead but it's something about seeing those three together you know and it's just sad like you said it turns into wwe with a lot of the problems or whatnot or whatever it's just unfortunate yeah i mean you know as we wrap up because i I, and um we've been on the air for um let me take a look but it just over two hours just 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 as we wrap up it's been you know it's um uh, when i interviewed brian alexander morgan and he, I asked him, like, look, you know, I never liked seeing just one lead singer. Why is it Coco singing all the songs? And he was, you know, he said, well, you know, you know, she, her voice was great, and and um, and, but the harmonies are just as important and stuff like that. I'm not a musician. I'm not a producer. So I'm like, oh, okay, so that that makes sense. Um, it was actually. Um, Lily actually, no, she know she. Lily actually saw my interview with Tabitha Duncan from Cock Close and posted because she Tabitha talked about how you know they got uh, you know Keith tried to replace her with two other with somebody else because she was very you know they were trying to replace her and Levon from Cock Close and bring in somebody new and then you know Coco, uh, Lily saw that interview and, and posted that man the industry is messed up. And, and and it's at that moment that I noticed that wow, that people are watching, you know, especially people within the industry. But I was also mindful that they do watch um, when people are talking about them. So when Brian is saying that he's, you know, that's why he only picked Coco, um, you know, being able to have a conversation with Lily about what she thought about that, and 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 her in her own words saying she loves Coco. She was an amazing. She's she's the she wouldn't put anyone up to Coco. However, 
it was unfair that she never got a chance to shine. And, you know, and at the time, you know, listening to that, listening to Mike and Slim, I couldn't understand it as much until I started to listen to yourself, Woody, and understand how, you know, either labels or management or people within the group um, have a way of, of not respecting or understanding um, how to value one another. And, you know, everyone just thinks this could end today. So let's just milk it as much as we can. So we keep the formula going and not think about what the impact it has on you or anyone else. And we just go and the this. thing about it, let me say one thing. Yeah. It's a meme that says toxic is when they can't treat you right, but they can't let you go either. It's like yeah. I was cool with it being that way. And I offered to go home. They begged me to stay. So it's like, why do you want somebody to stay just to sit around and be in a, what you call it, just to sit there and look stupid, you know? But go ahead and continue. Yeah, no, as I said, it's, it is the kind of stuff where, you know, I I hope anyone that's watching um, the SWV um, escape drama um, are able to understand that these things have happened across most of our groups. Mm-hmm. And it's it's probably why there's a falling out. You know, one of the reasons people might be asking me, my favorite all-time musician and our producer, you know, outside of Michael Jackson was Teddy Riley. How come you haven't been able to get him on halftime chat? Teddy Riley used to follow me on I- IG, and he used to, uh, you know, we used to communicate and like, yeah, let, let's get you on the show. I had no idea he had a falling out with Blackstreet, and he, you know, I had no idea. So when Blackstreet were planning to come to England, um, this was, I think, 2021, I, I posted a video with them singing, yeah, maybe no diggity or something like that. And I said, yeah, I can't wait to see my boys um, in town in a few weeks' time, a week's time. And he unfollowed me, and then that was it. Like, nope, I'm not going to that. And so I didn't, I, I didn't understand that. But then a few weeks later, his uncensored comes out, and he just grips Chauncey and stuff. And I'm like, oh, so here I am celebrating Chauncey and the rest of the guys, not knowing that you're seeing that and you're thinking, oh, oh, so you don't realize because I had no idea mm-hmm. that there was a there was a beef and all that stuff. So, you know, it's it's you know most when we don't know what's happening in the background, we just see what what's in front of us, and right. so I'm I'm able to sort of. Um, you know, just hope that they don't use the, this document, this stuff. You know, they need to get the juicy stuff to, to get people to watch and to sell airspace and stuff. Mm-hmm. But I, 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 I just hope, you know, Angie Stone said it, you know, that unfortunately we thought as black women we were going to have a platform to promote ourselves as R&B singers. Instead, they turned us into, um, into a catfight just to make, you know, to boost the ratings, to compare it with... Um, love and um, real wives of Hollywood and love and hip hop. They wanted that type of audience, so they turned the the produce, creators and producers turned it into that, and 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 created you know, environment. Was on one of them shows too, so that wouldn't be so far fetched. But, but you know, yeah. but, the, but the tragedy is, it's kind of you can kind of see it looking at both ways because you know they sometimes black groups. Black groups value mm-hmm. black entertainers, especially contemporary black entertainers. Our value, well, their value is based on how many records they're sold and their popularity, 
but their talent and their legacy and their impact, it kind of is it's less celebrated, less appreciated. So that means that if you're not selling all these records, then people are looking at you like you're not successful, even though you've made an impact. Fans have bought your records. You go to shows, you can sell out shows, but then the people in the public's mind, you've just fallen off. You've just gone somewhere. Yeah. So, and unfortunately, when now when you have a platform to be on television, instead of celebrating individuals' legacy as who they are as singing, as, as song as, as singer songwriters as a group, that aspect of it, you always see the lowest common denominator being celebrated, but on the white side. They always show these groups. They, they 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 present them in a whole different situation, to where it's not necessarily perfect, but they mm. make sure their legacy is always at the forefront, and they don't do anything to tarnish the brand. But on the flip side, you got to look at the audience because the audience is conditioned to where if they were watching the Escape SWV and they're focusing on okay, we want to make an album together, we want to do these tours, and that, that's what's going on with this with this. Um, the show they got a lot of fans be like, you know what? That's boring to me. I don't want to watch that. <laughs> yeah, that's that's that. people love that low vibrational. We said it earlier. Yeah, yeah. They want to see. Yeah, they want to see. They wait for Coco to scratch somebody with some nails or whatever. You know what I mean? <laughs> All different type of crazy things. And it's sad, but we they plugged into that instead of saying, mm-hmm. here's two groups that was out in the nineties, relatively the same age, came out at the same time. Now we're trying to go ahead and we kind of restart our uh reignite our career, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? But it's always got to be a slant, the drama, All right? You know, yeah, that's I, when I you mean, get black. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. I mean, think think about if they had a reality show with um Bruce Springsteen and Billy Joel. Now, hmm. if never you never they, they can come out with they can come out with an album now and combine the two of them won't sell more than twenty thousand albums. But they're still signed to major record labels. Bruce Springsteen, um, um, what's the guy? Bob Dylan. They're still signed for life. Barbara Streisand. They're still signed to major labels. They've not released anything. They're not selling anything, but they're still considered icon. Like, yeah, you need to keep a Bob Dylan on your label because you know he he or, or Bruce Springsteen because they're 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 living they're legacy. They're legacy yeah. artists. Yeah, and but, you you can, could, you but can where's Lionel Richie? Lionel Richie's outsold all of them combined, but you know he's not. He's still not signed to Motown. They're not. They're not saying, yeah. Well, anytime you want to put anything up, we'll we, we release you. You know. But the, but you know, but when you look at like legacy artists, you, you can put Elton John and Billy Joel. They tour together. They put them on tour together. They play the pianos and do what they do, and they're going all over the world, man. And they're selling out arenas and all of that. But you know, there's a lot of things that come along with it. Like you use the Lionel Richie example. Well, Motown. Motown was a it was an independent label. And even though Motown had a lot of great artists, when I say it was independent, they never were tied to they were never were tied to like major labels as far as business. So what happened was the bigger they got was great, but they couldn't compete with the bigger labels. So they couldn't come out with the when the videos were really popular. They just couldn't compete because they didn't have the budget. So Barry Gordy was paying for everything out of his pocket. So he was going bankrupt. He was going, he was losing money. So he had to sell the label because he just couldn't compete because the music industry had grown. But like you said, from an emotional standpoint, it makes sense for us to see, you know, um, Lionel Richie with Motown. It's the sentimental value that we have and all of that. But unfortunately, you're going to have certain groups. Even Lionel Richie went through it. Oh, you're pop. 
you're making these soft records. But now you almost have to wait that out because he went through that like in the 80s and 90s and he's soft music. But I, I went to a Lionel Richie concert at a music festival in New Orleans. And he went out there and he ran through his whole catalog for about an hour and a half. And people was losing their minds. So it's like sometimes you have to kind of you have to wait out the criticism mm -hmm. and all of that for people to kind of catch up to you. And then they realize when they see you on an award show and they see you running them songs out, you forget how good this person was. And that's a, that's a tragedy where with us as fans, we have to go through that whole stage to forget how big somebody was. Even when you look at a Michael Jackson, is that. There's a period of time a lot of people they love Michael Jackson, but there was a lot of black people that criticized Michael Jackson. They criticized him a lot, but yeah. it was like, especially during know, the bad time. I think is when he, yeah, he, you know, I think the remember the time won him back over that the uh, to the base. You know, they they yeah. got <laughs> celebrated with the base and um and you know he did Soul Train, did NAACP, he he did everything. Mm -hmm. And that became his um, holding bar, where he didn't, we, they didn't, they didn't turn up, we didn't turn our back on him again, even when he got kicked out by everyone else. Um, Houston, see, Whitney Houston is another one example. Is yep. that she, she comes out, but I understand the response because at the time when she's making those records and they started to become pop, you see George Michael coming out with Faith. That's like a black record, and all of a yeah. sudden, all these white these white groups coming out from England and they're making black music. Yeah, but yeah. black classic music, but the black people can't get no shine. The black artists can't get the shine, even though you got imitators of their group. Phil Collins. Phil Collins said a lot of records he had, he's imitating the Jacksons. He, some of his singing, he's imitating Michael Jackson. You know, which, yeah, which once again, recently. they want black music, but they don't want it from us. I feel, yeah. Phil, Phil Collins. So that's when you see well, Michael Jackson, going back to what we were saying before, how great he was. You got somebody like a Phil Collins taking your album, studying your albums, and he's singing the ballads and his instrumentation is like Michael Jackson, Jackson's records. You know, it is what it is, man. But I think the older, the, the younger the audience gets, they're so far removed from the history that they don't know. Because even though you got the internet with so much information at your fingertips, people are, they're so, they're, they're more uninformed as ever. You know what yeah. I mean? They're more uninformed as ever. I don't get it, but you know, it is what it is. You know? I just said it. We sitting here talking knowledge, but somebody is watching somebody smacking some cheeks or watching somebody do stupid pranks on each other <laughs> and stuff like that. So just because the information is there don't mean they feed. What they say, you can lead a horse to the water, but you can't make them drink. You can lead a person to information, but you can't make them think. Some people just love foolishness. And they don't yeah, want to hear nothing just talking sense or showing them nothing sense. And that's why your platform is so important because very important. After people get caught up in all the sensationalism and they see your platform, mm -hmm. they realize this is the real thing. That's why people are coming to see you, man. Yep. Yeah. No, but, but but also a lot of people enjoy hearing. I mean, we've we've got a number, you know, Diamond uh, Onyx and uh, uh, Noper. Um, extractor there's a there's a number of people who, who are tuning in and, and watching and listening and and actually do enjoy hearing these kind of conversations about the, the, the music and and about the, the people and about the, the things behind the scenes because it, it it's you know what we get mostly is the, is, is the drama what we get mostly is what pulls us down and 
we don't get enough stuff that lifts up the community, lifts up the culture and celebrates. You know, we, we, we have Rolling Stone magazine saying Michael Jackson's listed at number 86. But then they, they leave, they forget all the stuff he did with the Jackson Fives and the Jacksons and, and his pre-thriller stuff. And they think of his latter days. And so there's no re rebuttal. Yeah, you, you, you hit know, it right on the head. We have that, no media platforms that counter that. Yeah, right. you know they they they've they've taken the Cosby Show off the air, regardless of what has happened with Bill Cosby. The show itself put, you know, it was a way of seeing black communities. Like, you know, who who's you know, wouldn't it have been great if you had a parent who was a lawyer and another parent who was um, was it was a doctor. Okay, yep. And then you send your kids to college and you're dealing with all the dramas of grandparents and stuff. And you weren't having, you know, they'd rather have us keep watching um, Good Times and being <laughs> what, stuck into that or Martin. But like the Cosby show that elevates the community and elevates where, where you are and says you can achieve this stuff. Well, here's the, here's the thing. Here's the thing is that when the Cosby show, it was so foreign and we can't, we got to be careful. Because even though Good Times and the other show that you said it was the total opposite, we gotta we gotta always make sure that we those shows in the proper perspective, as mm -hmm. far as what they meant to the culture and what they yeah. did to set up the, the, the Cosby Show. Because keep in mind when the Cosby Show now everybody loves it. But I remember when the Cosby Show was out and there were black people were saying, "Man, that's a show trying to be a white show. Don't nobody live like that." Are you serious? <laughs> yeah, I remember that. They were looking at that show. They were like, because they seen a two-parent household. They seen them. They had to, because at that time during the 80s, you know, a lot of people were looking at shows. Some people loved it, but there was a segment of people, people who were criticizing it. Like, that's not real life. Black people don't live like that. I'm not talking about white people saying this. <laughs> there were black people saying that this, they don't necessarily live like this, but the dope it thing about the, them. It wasn't related, because you know why? Mm -hmm. Because one, obviously, they grew up up, there wasn't a lot of black shows on TV, first of all. And the ones you might have had in the back of your mind, like you said, it would have been a good times where everything was all, you know, up, you know, the seriousness. They was dealing with the poverty and everything Confidence, else like um, that. Yeah. So now you see in this show, but here's the dope thing that people won't miss about the Cosby show is the show was just it was it was a black show and it was a nuclear family. The fan, the man and the woman, they were professional. Kids went to school. But here's one of the things that Bill Cosby did. When you look in the house they lived in, the house was surrounded by black art, right? Mm -hmm. Then when you brought the grandparents and the grandmother in, yeah, yeah, the, the grand, the grandmother and the grand, they both had, they were connected to the history. The father was like a jazz singer, so it was like it was always connected with the black culture. And then people who he knew that were guests on the show, he would mm -hmm. make sure you have a broad scope of the whole black experience with mm -hmm. guests who were coming on the show. They would come in and then you would see the segment that everybody loves. He's playing the Ray Charles record on the stereo and the family's mm -hmm. singing to the mm -hmm. Ray Charles record. They got the sunglasses on. Mm -hmm. He's giving you the whole spectrum of, he's giving you the visual, he's giving you the auditory, he's giving you the historical component of black culture. But he's able to do that because at the time he's doing the Cosby show, he's in his 50s. So he soaked up 50 years of black culture. He's injecting into the show. But a lot of us, we didn't catch on to that later. We was kept, we were drawn into the characters. But he raised the element of people to where a lot of people who never thought about going to college, 
they wanted to go to college after seeing the Cosby uh, show. You see people running around with the Hillman T-shirt. Okay, it's, yeah. it's a reference to the HBCU situation. Bill mm -hmm. Cosby, man, he don't he gets a lot of credit for that. In terms of there's like this myth, yeah, he tried to buy NBC and this is what they did. You know, I really don't believe it. Believe that. I know he tried to buy it, but he tried to buy that 40 years ago. He tried to buy it 40 years ago. But I just think that in terms of like with our entertainers, our heroes, you know, there's a time where they elevate you and there's a time that they throw you away. And whatever issues that you had in your life or whatever, those things will surface and come back. Because if you look at what's happening with Bill Cosby, everything started with that one black comedian that said what he said. And after that, boom, they took it and they ran with it. And everybody's coming out the woodwork. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I've seen situations with Michael Jackson. I won't say any names, but there's one person, one prominent person who's a pro-black figure, pro-black leader who defends Michael Jackson. I remember reading in a newspaper article in 1983, 1984, this same person who defends Michael Jackson when he was going through all those issues. He said that Michael, ja I won't say his name, but he said that Michael Jackson is not the example for young black men to emulate. He said this. He said this in 1984, because at that time Michael Jackson had the curl, he okay. had the like the light voice or whatever. And he was like he wasn't. He just said he wasn't a role model for black men to emulate. But later on, this same person wound up defending Michael Jackson when Michael Jackson was going through all those issues. But he had to wake up and realize that Michael Jackson was was more than what his opinion of what michael jackson was at that time so we got to be very careful when we're when we're that's why legacy is important to being able to really break that stuff down because michael jackson is doing something and he's in a pocket where nobody's doing it keep in mind remember michael jackson is 25 years old 24 25 years old what 25 and 24 25 year old now do we see doing creating at the forefront of a lot of these things. Think about what we were doing at 24 and 25 years old and the level of success that he's dealing with. Think about Michael Jackson at 10, 15 years old dealing with the level of success. Then you shift it back over to the SWVs and the, and the escapes. They're like 19, 20, 21, 22 years old, and they're dealing with this unprecedented success. Then you're dealing with the dynamics three different dynamics, four different dynamics trying to come together. So whatever problems or issues they have on their own, they're bringing the energy into that group. And then there are mm -hmm. other issues that, come, that, that drop down and now they got to deal with those issues. So when you look at that, you almost got to like, we see it, but we got to look at, okay, what was I like at 21? Because mm -hmm. think about it, you're dealing with insecurities within a group. You're dealing with jealousy. You're dealing with people pulling strings and divide and conquer and all of that. So at yeah. 20, 20 years old, who's able to survive that? Who's that? Who, who had 20, 21 years old has the mentality of trying to survive that Chris Brown. We talked about Chris Brown situation with Rihanna. He's like, man, people can't live that. They can't live that down. I'm, I made a mistake or whatever that is, you know? Hey man. Yeah. I mean, just, great. just as we wrap up with it, I guess, you know, the, the reflective question I wanted to ask is that if Drew Hill was still the group that you started before your mom took you out and the way the situation was set up before you left and came back, 
Do you think you guys could have been a bigger group if it was set up where everyone respected everyone's role and responsibility and and you weren't sidelined, but you were leading as you were before you left? Do you think your group could have been even bigger? I think so, because like, like Sheldon said, it was so many elements that the people didn't get to see. And the sad part about it is now people are seeing those elements because they follow each one of us on social media or whatever. They see the different personalities and things like that. And it's like for people to be able to see that together, I think it would have been a lot bigger than what it would have ended up being. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And and so guys, that's that's the as we leave it like that, you know, we start off talking about Michael and celebrating him. I mean it's good that Sheldon was able to bring bring it back to 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 Michael and yeah, and, and that, yeah. <laughs> but but also I think one of the issues one of the things that we've tried to say, even with the SWV and escape stuff, is that um, you know, Chris Rock, you know, as much as he said, you know, joked around with the whole Will Smith slap and Oscar stuff, he, what he how he ended it was really important that um as a community we've only got ourselves. The one thing I've always admired about the Jewish communities that they they lift themselves up, they support themselves. Sure. If uh, if you are part of that community, doors open for you within that community, and you know it is you know not that they don't have differences, but in general, there's they, they work it out within the community, they uh, and and because they've been through so much. We've been, as a black community, we've been through more than any other community in history. Yes, sir. And unfortunately, we still um, don't seem to be working together to lift ourselves up. We're more likely to continue to tear ourselves down. And even when one of us gets singled out, instead of being like um, a, a, a flock who goes around and protects the the one that's been um, kicked out, we, we we probably say, yeah, you can have that one. We 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 don't want that one too, and 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 then we all move away. And other communities will say, nope, if if they're going down, we're all going down, and and that's how we 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 should start earning respect. I'm not saying you know you know I look at someone like an R Kelly and 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 he's been accused and he's been convicted about of of you know. Of, of what he has been, but everyone is now banning the music, banning everything and saying, yep, he, he's, he's this, he's that. But on the, on the flip side, Harvey Weinstein's films are still being watched, shown and celebrated. No one has any issues with that. People still celebrate. Um, what's the guy who does the wall of sounds? Um, Phil Spector. He's still, you know, he's still all respected and everywhere. Every, the, the, the other, other artists, um, um, both musicians and filmmakers and stuff that that are that are that are non-black, that have gone through, have have gone through jail and everything. Marv Albert went to prison for stuff, came back out, still got his job back, and no one thinks twice about it. So there is there's the double standards, and but it takes a community to protect the community, and so um, I'm not uh, I'm not saying that we we allow bad things to happen, but we we try and protect the legacy and the culture um, because if we don't, no one else will. That, that's definitely sure. And, you know, you guys are, have been gracious to talk about 
what I've been doing on Halftime Chat, but that's been all about celebrating people's lives, the culture, giving a, a space, a safe space for people to share their story as Woody has been on, as a guest and not use that to twist it around. Um, um, I, and it, it does, may not always be the most popular thing to do, but it's sure, um, surely a way of trying to set a standard for all other people to try and do the same thing is that we should, we, we should just understand that not just life is short, but, you know, as a community, we've, we've gone through so much. And, um, and that's, that's the, my whole sole purpose right now is just to elevate the culture, the community around the world. So I thank both yourself, Woody and Sheldon, for thank you. Um, joining me on, on this quest and, and being, and, and, and so self support, you know, having, having the space for us to chat um, as frequently as we can. Uh, I thank you guys who have been tuning in and, and, and commenting. It's been it's been real support. But as I said, having both of you guys um, on board is, is it's 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 a real blessing um, because we all have very different perspectives and, and come from different angles and stuff. So, um, so guys, we're going to think about what we're going to talk about next. You know, we, we you know it was divided when we we, we celebrated our top favorite female artists and male artists. We didn't realize that we left a few people out, like Tina Marie and stuff. So, oh, man, um, yeah. we, <laughs> so we're gonna have a we're gonna have an opportunity um, uh, to be able to come back and 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 do that. But um, th thank you guys. It is about midnight here, and I'm, I'm, uh, we're seven hours. Yeah. We, we, our clocks haven't turned until next next weekend and stuff. Oh, but, okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah, our clocks haven't turned and stuff, but uh, yeah. Any final words, Woody and, and Sheldon, before? Hey, man, thank you once again. And like Sheldon said, man, like your platform is so important. Like I did, I've done interviews with other people and not to discredit them. And some of them were good, but then some of them made me even appreciate you that much more because you actually allow somebody to talk and you allow somebody to tell their story and you don't try to tell them what happened and didn't happen and you wasn't there. You feel me? <laughs> so it's just like, I just appreciate your style and the way that you interview. And like friends of mine that watch the interviews and stuff, they said, I like when you talk to my, they call you their friend, you their friend and you never even met. I like when you talk to my friend from overseas. I like when you talk to my friend from the UK. Cause he, he you know, like he lets you talk and he understands that he, you know, it's just the way you are as a person, as a human being, you know, and it shows through in your work. And then when I can be included with Brother Sheldon, man, it's like this guy knows history. <laughs> you know, like I can say something and I can allude to it a little bit. He'll tell you, exactly like, that was in 1975 or May the 3rd. You know, so he, he, that's the, we got a built-in fact checker right here, man. So it's just like to be amongst guys such as yourselves, like, and to call you guys my, my friends and my contemporaries means the world to me. So I'm grateful for both of you guys, man, and thank the Heavenly Father for the opportunity to be on here with, with guys such as yourselves, for real. Uh, I, I second that. Uh, Namdi, is the big, what I see with you is one word is genuine. Mm -hmm. genuine two words genuine and integrity mm -hmm. so when i see you engage with the artists and whatnot it's coming from a um very honest place and even when they talk you're not steering them to the dysfunction you let them go ahead and express themselves and you ask certain questions and then you also are very you remind me 
of like you were like a talk show host from many years ago back in the day that when they were talking they made sure that they weren't focused on the low vibrational stuff right you focused on the essence of who they are what made them great and all of that if they wanted to share something you would allow them to do it so i think man all those artists people you need to talk to they need to send you a check because you are you, yeah you, you, you it's, it's you're like a therapist you know that's, that's, but that's your, that's your wheelhouse anyway so that's how i see it and i see my man woody i see that that's that briggs and myers personality oh, yeah, sure. right there yeah, yeah i sure. see that I yeah, met a lady yeah. and she worked in Korea and she said that on their dating um profiles and stuff, they have to include that. They have yeah. to include that so people can know if they're a perfect match. And I, I think it's like more accurate than even horoscopes because you can't help when you're born. But when you take that test and you show like how your personality is and somebody else take that test and you able to look at both of them together and see if y'all a match or whatever. Yeah, man, I, I'm really into that. Yeah. But as I, I say, guys, included me. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no. As I just said, it, 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 it you, you don't understand how it, you know, you know, it's, it's how important it is for me to be able to have people like yourselves that I can talk to, rely on, and and stuff because, you know, it, it's, you know, it's, it is, a, it's, you know, I, you know, it's a full time job. I've got a family. Uh, I'm still in grad school, and so, and then sometimes in the job, I'm, I'm, I'm. I'm interviewing and I'm hearing these amazing things, but I don't have a voice. And 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 halftime chat is not a place for me to have a voice. It's not for me to give my opinion. I listen to what the, anyone says. And if an artist says we invented hip hop, it's not for me to say no. I don't think so. I'm like, oh, okay, wow. <laughs> so right, having this space like this to have a voice is is it you know with you guys, it's it's a it's a it's therapy for me. It's a space where I can just. Say whatever I say. Say the little I want to say, little, and just, just, just have an opinion. And that's why I really enjoy enjoy the space and and, and encourage and celebrate them and stuff. So, so I appreciate you, you guys. And, um, you, 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 the, you, the podcast, Quincy Jones. You know, Quincy Jones. Let them just sit back and let them do their thing. You're the podcast Quincy, man, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely, definitely. But anyway, I thank you guys. So it's it's 0071 here. We've um okay. and so I appreciate everyone who's tuned in. And um until next time, guys. Um um we we'll 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 be back and stuff. <laughs> okay. okay. Everybody take care. I am peace. <laughs>